have wanted to talk about this subject on a podcast for a long time, that being Borderline Personality Disorder, or BPD. It is um, an issue that I have faced personally in my life. And I mean, there's a whole story behind it that I would kind of like to get into and share with the world, uh, similar to many other people who have faced uh, this kind of a mental illness or personality disorder. You know, it's like when you have a lot of suffering in your life and then you finally figure out uh, how to deal with it and how it didn't have to necessarily happen the way it did. Uh, you know, you want to try and make some meaning out of your suffering and uh, talking about it and sharing, you know, how to deal with it, how to get skilled, how to understand it, sharing all that stuff with others. Um, I don't know. There's there's something about people that go through this. I know I'm not the only one who has, uh, you know, gone through this condition, learned about it, learned to mostly overcome it, and then want to share it with other, there, others. There's lots of people that have written books and done other podcasts and people that are doing treatment programs online a whole host of things and probably uh, you know other therapists that are doing uh, offline work and uh, making it their kind of their life purpose to pass on this kind of learning uh, and help others Uh, we just don't want people to you know suffer if they don't have to and uh, you know and suffer as much as we did Um, another uh, reason that I'm doing this is to uh, be a voice for people who are suffering from issues that can seem kind of invisible or largely invisible. It can seem like uh, the emotional issues and the behavioral patterns uh, for people that suffer with BPD, they can just seem to come out of nowhere and seem, you know, people don't understand themselves, why it's happening. Other people don't understand it and it can just look like you know, a bad attitude or it can look like uh, a person is just trying to be difficult and, you know, selfish or whatever. Um, But it's, I mean, it's largely, in my experience, uh, those attitudes come from ignorance, really not understanding uh, what, uh, how mental illness happens and um, how people don't even realize what's going on, how it's all really invisible to them and to others and it just makes for lots of drama distress and lots of big life messes okay another thing i want to do is uh promote you know mental health awareness uh part of my role as a psychologist is to you know share what i've learned uh, with the world in whatever way that i want as sort of like a social responsibility it's the ethical thing to do Uh, So that's part of what I'm doing here as well. I would really like people just in general to be more informed about mental health as well. Uh, Because, you know, I think we live in a a society, a culture that doesn't prioritize these things. Uh, Even though I guess in recent years it's been more and more... um, emphasized or that you know you have mental health days suicide awareness days and other 
similar things. Um, things are starting to be talked about more, introduced into sort of the mainstream. I'm not sure that it's taken hold as like a common part of our lives to be, uh, you know, acutely aware of how to take care of your mental health and how to um, do how to be a parent and rear your children in ways that they have, you know, like the healthiest brain possible. I just don't think it's really totally in the mainstream yet. And that's part of uh, what these uh, podcasts are about for a lot of people and for me as well. I'd also like to create a place where um, the people I care about and like especially my children uh, for them to turn to if they want to gain a better understanding of uh, mental health, how it happens in the world and kind of better understand me as a person, uh, a person who has suffered with uh, mental health issues over the years and, you know, what the types of things that uh, I've done to try and uh, deal with it and to help others, you know, and if they get to a point in their lives where they want to, if they're facing something with themselves or with a partner or with a friend or whatever, right, um, then they can be better informed and um, I hope that it can be utilized that way. I really would like to change sort of the trajectory or the, you know, how illness gets uh, passed down from generation to generation. I'll probably talk a little bit about that more in a few minutes here where I, you know, I'd like to, I kind of like to rant a little bit. Uh, I'm a bit of a controversial person. Um, You know, I kind of think outside the box or outside the mainstream in many cases. Um, So, you know, now and again, I like to go on a bit of a rant about, you know, the world and culture and how, you know, it's not exactly an ideal place for um, becoming healthy or even knowing what it means to be healthy. So I'll save that for a little bit here. So I wanted to talk about also like why did I choose the podcast title Smarter Than BPD? I think it has to do with learning as much as you can um, on your journey in order to Uh, be free of the patterns of mental illness so it's like if you learn enough if you become wise enough smart enough and if you start practicing new skills and uh, learning what it means to be healthy uh, uh, understanding again how mental illness happens in the world like you just sort of over time you develop um, an ability uh and in an intelligence of uh, mental health and so you become i guess literally in a way like smarter than the illness right so you can manage it very effectively uh, as time goes by because you you know you know basically you know what's happening in each moment of your life and you have some uh, awareness some skills uh to deal with things, especially things like emotions and assumptions and changing the way you approach things, the the behaviors, you know, all the things that didn't work very well in the past, you have a way to intervene. And so you become uh, sort of enlightened, I guess is another word, Uh, or you, you transcend the illness. 
So I think that's largely why I like that title. Like, it's not like kind of saying, like, I know everything about BPD because I don't. I've learned quite a bit in uh, the uh, in the many several years that have gone by since I realized it was an issue in my life. I, I realized that I was suffering with BPD when I was about 37, so about 10 years ago. And um, that's, you know, that's been my time frame for investigating and uh, learning about skills and all the different ways you can you can deal with this kind of thing. So, I mean, I'm quite informed, but I, I never would claim to know everything. But I definitely like to learn more and more. So as you know, as time goes by, I will be continuing to read you know books uh, about borderline and all related things, and uh, bring those into the podcast experience as well. So you know we can all learn uh, as much as possible together. So the, the podcast episodes. I mean, this one is sort of again just it's just introducing myself a little bit. And like some of my background, I'll share a little bit of my story here coming up. Uh, but the podcast episodes, I'd really like to just get, kind of get into how I uh, learned how to help myself, you know, like what kinds of things really worked for me and what are some of the 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 uh, theoretical frameworks like um, dialectical behavior therapy obviously is a big one dbt and you know you can use other therapy modalities as well like cbt and you know all the things involved in in understanding uh, how to have a healthy brain i mean so we'll be you know talking about the different areas of dbt like uh core mindfulness and uh, emotion regulation interpersonal effectiveness uh, distress tolerance uh, and I would definitely like to go into issues about connection and attachment uh, especially you know during the childhood years and what types of things uh, foster a good good connection good attachment lots of people do not experience good quality connections attachments with their caregivers which has um, a lot to do with the development of disorders like BPD I mean it isn't everything about it there are you know um, the trauma can be part of it there can be genetic issues that can be uh, part of it it's always uh, some kind of combination right of like nature and nurture you get you know those different things come together and uh, you know but lots of us uh, in the world develop this this common condition, borderline personality disorder, and uh, you know all the things that go with it. Uh, and I guess I should you know talk a little bit about the common features of borderline personality disorder. That that of course will be I guess ongoing throughout the podcast episodes. Like of course there's issues with. Uh, regulating emotions there's perceptual in interpretation issues like what people see is happening in the world and the types of assumptions that they make uh, the the way they react to their emotional experience and how that influences the uh, the quality of their relationships and if relationships can even uh, uh, last because uh, sometimes behaviors can be quite toxic right um, 
BPD also sometimes involves uh, really impulsive, reckless types of behaviors, uh, suicidal thinking and uh, acting uh, on uh, suicidal thoughts. Uh, there can be substance use issues. Uh, there can be identity issues, like you know, not really knowing who you are because uh, you know that wasn't uh, fostered enough in your development, and uh, you know, having difficulties with um, uh, uh, committing to projects and an identity of like your work identity, I guess, right? And uh, who you want to be, you know, like settling on on something can be uh, a difficult thing. And there's other things too, uh, it, but it all, you know, a lot of it boils down to not being able to handle the emotional experience of being a human and being able to effectively live in a human body and being able to optimally use your brain for like thinking things through, uh, doing the most effective making the most effective choice in each moment of life, you know, sometimes just kind of living to numb the emotional experience. And that's where a lot of the behaviors come in as well, like uh, addictive behaviors or, you know, there can be impulsive shopping or uh, impulsive um, sexuality and these kinds of things. And a lot of it has to do with like trying to numb or avoid emotions. And so, yeah, I mean, you'll hear more and more of that in the podcast, like learning how to uh, take care of your emotions, learning how to accept and tolerate your emotions, learning how to live in a, a human body in that way. Because in, in a lot of ways, that's what our the Western culture misses. And that's a bit of my rant there again on culture, but a lot of people do not learn how to work with their emotions and even if they don't have borderline personality disorder and sort of the the level of difficulty that that entails they are probably still kind of living their life in ways to avoid emotions and and probably because they never you know they never learned how to do it so my background a little bit um I, I grew up in a, a small city in Alberta, in uh, Canada again, and just a, sort of an average middle class, I guess lower middle class lifestyle. Um, and there were all, the, I guess, all the common problems that families can experience um, without a good understanding of mental health, right? So like my parents had relationship problems, there was divorce, uh, there was uh, quite a bit of drama actually um, for a period of time before they officially split up. And you know, there was problems with, um, I guess, being around conflict and drama and that you know that influences how ch how children develop, and I'm I'm pretty sure it, you know it affected me in some ways. And um, I don't want to like uh, sort of villainize my my family or caregivers. Like at this point in my life, I understand pretty well that people do you know for the most part they really try and do the best that they can with what they have at the time in, in terms of 
like being able to provide and being able to understand health and well-being and uh, you know take care of themselves and be in healthy relationships people do the best that they can and uh, I think they were in, in embedded just like me and you and a lot of people embedded in a culture of kind of like mental health ignorance uh, emotional immaturity not even really realizing that they're emotionally immature and not, uh, which means like not knowing how to deal with these things uh, in an effective mature way and so you know people are highly reactive and when they are reactive to their emotions they typically say and do things that don't promote wellness in in family life right and so that can uh, be a recipe for a lot of conflict and uh, breakdown uh, and abuse, uh, you know, and uh, when people are struggling for long periods of time, they, they often also turn to substances, which doesn't help family life either, right? And, um, and then eventual um, uh, termination of relationships. Um, so, I mean, I was around like all of that. Uh, but I guess nonetheless, I still grew up in kind of like an average neighborhood. Uh, I did lots of things that uh, uh, regular kids do. Uh, in the 80s and 90s when I was uh, a youth, I like I really liked skateboarding. Uh, I was, you know, really big into snowboarding as well. And I filled up my time with those things. And even with, you know, some of the chaos going on in the background, um, I still try to enjoy some stuff, but I mean, throughout my childhood, I had emotional struggles too that I didn't know how to handle. I had troubles in uh, childhood relationships and uh, tr troubles in uh, uh, adolescent relationships and with girl girlfriends. Um, it was, you know, lots, there. it was difficulty. Uh, throughout the various stages uh, and a lot of my issues were again related to the same issues that you know my parents had like they they didn't know much about mental health and they they didn't know how to model it or or like teach me about it and so you know they did the best that they could and i was without that understanding and skills um uh in my life you know, I, my parents sent me to doctors and therapists sometimes, and um, I don't know, I wasn't really open to the idea of opening up to, like, strangers or, you know, even if they're professionals when I was a kid. Like, if I, I think kids learn the best from their families. Like, if, if they can, you know, if you, they have good relationships with their parents, then that's where they want to, you know, learn about life and how to live in their body and be a human. And, you know, kids don't really want to... Uh, talk to some stranger professional anyway that was my case and so I didn't learn much from those exposures to you know uh, health professionals and you know I uh, I went to college I went to university um, and did my best to uh, you know get a career uh, but I mean even even throughout college and university there were uh, various ups and downs and uh, you know I had uh, moments where I couldn't handle the uh, emotions of schoolwork and the you know the difficulties of um, uh, 
getting a degree and and becoming a, a registered psychologist. I mean, all of it like was had moments of difficulty, and I was lucky that people were you know kind to me. Um, that you know, like they kind of put up with a lot of my crap, I guess. Uh, you know, and it, like loved me anyway, um, um, so I could get through you know the different stages and uh, still get a job and carry on. But I wanted to make sure I was being like trying to be both honest and like gentle about you know others and and myself. Like it's important that we you know we do our our best to you know be as healthy as we can. Um, but I mean, one of the important things I often say to people too is you know you don't know what you don't know, uh, and a lot of our uh, uh, troubles come from living in ignorance and I, I said that before as well and if you know if it comes down to like not knowing why uh, things didn't turn out well like literally you know having no clue about mental health I mean how it isn't all just about uh, morality and character right like sometimes we get stuck in these patterns of mental uh, trouble, mental illness, and they are a big influence on um, what we do and the types of choices that we make. And I guess, you know, there's lots of controversial uh, stuff there. You know, people who listening might say, no, it's just, it's just a person's uh, choices and their character. And that's, you know, that's what determines uh, how their life happens. You know, mental health is not a big variable but I guess after my experience in my own life and like working with hundreds of people in my occupation I would say like mental health plays a big role or lack of understanding of mental health plays a big role in how things happen the choices that are made the you know the conflicts the dramas the things that take place uh, are largely related to that so I wanted to just rant a little bit, I guess, if you don't mind, about you know the dysfunctional world, I guess I would say, and how it, it all adds up to so many people experiencing mental health problems. I've already kind of alluded to what I mean by that. So, you know, we don't live in a world that... Uh, is really motivated to make sure like everyone has the skills and understanding that they need to to be as healthy as possible um, like I often say to people like when you went to school did they have a mental health course uh, in your you know in your grade school um, and I certainly uh, didn't have any of that that wasn't part of my regular learning or curriculum uh, in in the in current times it might be a little bit different where they include some of that here and there I mean I've heard of sometimes uh, kids having you know classes for you know, short durations about uh, how to uh, improve their mood and I don't know gain a few skills about how to you know deal with mental health stuff but I'm I'm still kind of looking at things like it's not a it's not in the mainstream, right? So we don't we don't live in a, in a world where people have the kind of knowledge that they need to be fully healthy. Uh, 
And that and that's one of the reasons that psychologists and other therapists stay so busy as well because I mean, part of what we're doing in all of our conversations and talking with people is being teachers. We're talking about basically how to work with emotions, how to work with thoughts, uh, how to identify the patterns in your in your mind and you know and in your relationships that are you know that are leading to unwanted outcomes. How to become self-aware. How to, how to not be kind of like shooting yourself in the foot, as they say. If people really had the skills that they needed, uh, we wouldn't have very much uh, work to do uh, as therapists, or at least the typical work. I mean, there would still be, you know, things like grief and loss and that kind of stuff, and you know, other things that people go through, like adjusting to to new life situations and. So, I mean, I, I think there's always a place for counselors and therapists, but I mean, a lot of the pain and suffering has to do with this sort of widespread societal cultural ignorance, meaning that people just don't know what they don't know. Uh, and tons of suffering comes from that. Um, and it's frustrating, you know, like it's frustrating if you are a person who has been through it yourself and uh, or, or you know people who have suffered and or even died you know as a result of these things that like could have been prevented if we lived in a world that was more mental health aware but we don't like like the things that matter from my experience anyway the things that matter are you know like getting an education and learning how to fit into society in a way where you you earn a living and you can buy things right so i mean a lot of it a lot of the uh, prioritization seems to come down to like money making and being a consumer uh, and sort of like not really looking out so much for the collective or the community but being mostly focused on uh, what you can gain materially for yourself I, uh, that sort of seems to be the the dominant trend like I, I know it's not completely cut and dry and then you know there are people who care about health as well uh, and you know things things happen differently for for different people um, so, I mean, I'm open to the, you know, kind of breaking that apart uh, and saying, you know, it's not, it, it's, it's a spectrum, right? Like, so some people have a lot more dysfunction uh, in their lives than, than others. Uh, and, you know, some parents care about health and, uh, and bringing it into their family lives more than others. Um, but still... Like we're all sort of in this situation where we have to figure out like how to survive in the modern world, right? So we have to figure out how to pay for things. Uh, and I, I, from working with like hundreds of people, as I said, like I know that that's where a lot of our time and energy and attention goes to. Uh, like if you were to compare, right, on a graph, <laughs> you know, how much time do I devote to uh, figuring out how to make a living and how much time do I devote to uh, my job and actually, you know, like earning a living or uh, where does most of my time and energy go? And if you were to map it out like over a year, 
I mean, you would probably notice that most of your time goes into figuring out how to uh, put money in your bank, how to put food on the table, uh, how to get the things that you need to survive in the modern world, right? Um, And so, I mean, the tendency is to neglect health, uh, especially mental health, like people will sometimes make a point of going to the gym right and that's that's viewed as pretty important for some people and i mean nothing wrong with that like it's good to exercise uh but what about the you know the other parts of your health and mental health seems to be very often like bottom of the barrel like people will they will only uh investigate it learn about it bring it into their lives like if it's like they have come down with a condition like where the symptoms are impairing their ability to get through their day and go to their job so if you know you have extreme anxiety or extreme depression um, or you have a personality disorder that you know basically interferes with uh, everything especially your um, relationships but people like they they wait right until it's uh until they don't have any other choice (laughs) and i guess i was like i'm who who am i to like judge anybody that way right i was basically the same i uh even though i was studying psychology right i was going to school and for to be a psychologist and i still didn't really realize the extent of my mental health issues until I was in my mid to late 30s and then I finally found out through like the uh, through people that I knew like in the field and they were kind of able to point me in the right direction because they could see that I had some stuff right and they you know they eventually informed me you know that I you know probably had this personality disorder and um, that I should you know learn about it and that really kind of floored me when I first found out. And I, I remember the first book that I read on the subject. Uh, it was called um, Overcoming Borderline Personality Disorder, A Family Guide for Healing and Change uh, by Valerie Poor. That was the first book I read on BPD. And I was reading that book. And I was, as I was um, going through the chapters, I was seeing myself more and more in the diagnosis. And I just couldn't believe that it it escaped me right like uh, through all the schooling that I went through I, I never learned how to uh, I never learned very much about borderline and um, or how to self-reflect uh, and you know be able to see how these things could really apply to me but wow um, I mean did they ever so yeah about 10 years ago when I started being uh aware that this was an issue in my life like i dove deeply into the subject i wanted to learn as much as i could i mean i wanted to be uh smart i wanted to be smarter than bpd and um get the skills that i needed to make improvements um steady improvements i've never like probably perfectly uh transcended the condition i still have some issues from time to time uh, but i mean as you learn and as you practice basically what happens is that you your episodes your emotional episodes have become less um 
uh, toxic uh, and less frequent. And so things kind of get spaced out, uh, meaning like more time between episodes. So that's the sort of the trend and that's what happens. And it's, it's good because it means you start to like have more successes rather than failures uh, in your life, like better outcomes more, more often. And that's what I'm hoping to help others with as well through this project is to create those, you know, those, those good outcomes. And for a person also to be able to see that uh, they were able to choose differently through their self-awareness and they could say, wow, like, you know, I did it different this time, like, and I actually can um, make changes to the patterns in my life. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it builds your confidence, confidence when you can see that you did it differently than you would have done it before, like without the knowledge and without the skills. And um, I guess the last thing I would like to just say is I hope that this podcast can reach a wide audience but especially including males um like it affects females and males Uh, but i mean people are very often um they don't want to uh look into these things they don't want to admit that they could be suffering from these things and um maybe especially with males i would say because it can i mean if you say like i have borderline personality disorder or i have suffered from like that kind of thing you would be afraid that it would like ruin your reputation right like and people would no longer look at you the same way or think that you're a a good and safe person to be around or that you don't have good qualities Um, like all those things are not true Uh, even though you you could be suffering from an illness it doesn't mean that you don't have good qualities Um, it just means that they are you're not able to express them very very much or not nearly often enough because the disorder kind of takes over but if you can learn to uh how to manage it kind of like learning how to like ride an ocean wave or learning how to ride a bike learning how to skateboard right you get you know skilled and then you can do something that is challenging uh which is to basically live with uh live with your emotions in a new way Uh, So I hope some males will access this podcast. If you know any males out there that are suffering, you know, kind of like with these kinds of things, uh, and, you know, they might be willing to listen to a podcast uh, maybe as a first step to going into therapy uh, or maybe as a first step to accessing other resources that they would be comfortable accessing, uh, please share it with um, your, uh, your male friends or acquaintances or family members. And today I wanted to go into um, some of my uh, early history, just to give you an example or sort of set the type of context that people who uh, experience problems in their development and end up uh, with uh, patterns of mental illness and personality disorder, kind of like what they might go through. I mean, I've met with lots of people in my psych, uh, psychology practice. I've been, again, working as a 
a psychologist slash mental health therapist for the last 10 years. So I've met with lots of people and part of my job includes uh, taking uh, the psychosocial history, right? Or the family history, the things that they've been through uh, as part of their development. So I've seen very uh, much what it looks like and the types of contexts that children grow up in uh, when uh, mental health issues start to take root. And my experience in my childhood was uh, not a lot different than many others. So the main thing I guess I wanted to start out with was, um, so if you're a person who has developed uh, an emotional type of disorder, emotional thought and behavioral type of disorder, like borderline personality, then, I mean, you should know that there's a really good chance that you had some neurological vulnerabilities or predispositions that were passed down through genetics these um, these patterns often do run in families, and they are um, certainly a part of uh, my my family and my other people in my um, genogram. I don't know them all very well, but I suspect that there is a similarities that goes back generations. So, as someone who is um, a child and develops this they they grow up with these sensitivities which means they might be you know a little bit more emotional than others or they might be more sensitive to feeling and um and what how they experience that and how it translates into behavior and and all those things so some people are in a way like higher needs that way and uh, i was one of those kids um that had those neurological like vulnerabilities or predispositions. I was just more sensitive uh, and my emotions were more amplified, bigger than others. And then the other part that you need to understand is that there can be an environment that you're in as a child where people don't understand how to work with you very well with your emotions. So they don't know how to, to teach you or guide you uh, in that way. So they could be parents who are um, like good parents and caring, but they just don't understand how to do that stuff. Uh, how to um, orient their kids uh, to to live with to live in their body with certain types of all types of feelings right I mean we experience all types and they may even accidentally uh, um, make your emotional struggle worse by the ways they respond to you or, or or they don't respond to you so I mean there can be abusive responses there can be neglectful responses. Uh, and people usually what they do is I think they carry on the patterns that they observed from their parents, right? So they carry it into their parenting and, and that's what they do with their children. And they think that, you know, it's not a problem. I'm just doing what my parents did with me um, without even really batting an eye or thinking twice about it. But what can end up happening is... Uh, a child can have many um, emotionally traumatic moments where they have, say, uh, they have an, 
an extreme emotion of one kind or another and uh and then maybe they act out in some way or have a behavior and then the parent sort of just tries to shut them down quickly or you know threaten a punishment or or actually punish them for having a certain type of feeling um, so when that happens and these can be you know many moments in a in a childhood so you have these sensitivities these emotional sensitivities and then and then when you experience them in real life and then the in the environment the you you get in trouble basically for for having feelings okay so that means that you didn't learn anything about your what to do with those emotions other than try and hide or suppress them and that's what people often do, right? They try and hide or suppress their emotional experience because it means uh, if, if they show it, that they will be in some trouble with the people that they, uh, they depend on and um, that they need, right? Um, like their parents. And sometimes it's others in their life too that they realize, look, I can't show this part of myself i can't be myself in this way uh, because it comes with consequences like hurtful consequences it's actually worse to show my emotions than it is to to hide them and so that's kind of starts a pattern of what we call emotional avoidance so you kind of start to live your life in a way where you are always trying to hide that part of yourself as soon as you start to feel, you try and figure out a way to ignore it or to, you know, to not show it. Um, you know, and the thing is, and this is something that stood out to me in my own learning and in working with others, that is, if you're living your life to just avoid emotions, then you are not uh, making decisions that are necessarily the wisest like you're just your decisions are based on how can i avoid this feeling versus like what would be the best decision to make in this moment and so people make a lot of decisions about in their life based on you know that algorithm just to avoid a certain kind of feeling and they they probably do it quite unconsciously after a while and then when things don't work out very well and they kind of wonder, like, what am I doing wrong? Like, why, why don't things turn out the way I want them to? Or why do my, you know, why do my relationships fail so much? Um, and, you know, a lot of it is rooted in this pattern that they started um, when they were, when they were young in their childhood. And it just kept going and going and going. Um, now, with people with, um, that are really sensitive. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Marsha Linehan. She's the uh, developer of dialectical behavior therapy. She actually describes um, borderline patients as being like third degree burn victims. Like that's how sensitive they are to their experiences in the world. And so, you know, their emotions are much harder to manage and hide. And so they just keep kind of coming out, like even if you, sometimes even if you do try to hide them, right? Like you just, you just can't. Sometimes you just have full blown like, or if you have um, 
suppress them for a certain period of time and then they just keep building up inside of you and then you just can't take it anymore right and then you have like an outburst of some kind and every time you have an outburst you get in trouble right for having an outburst because you um you, you say things or you do things that uh are offensive or upsetting to others um or that are just or that are actually abusive to others right like you don't really and then you feel regret after you don't want to be behavioral in that way but the emotions are so um intense that they kind of take over um and this is what a lot of people who don't understand borderline or understand what it's like what it's like they would say you know he just meant to behave like that he's just uh he's choosing that it's just totally his or her free will Um, But I'm going to argue that point and I'm going to say, no, it's not totally free will. Sometimes our emotions do take over. Sometimes they do get the best of us. Um, And I can say, you know, in my life that as I have learned to manage my emotions better, that I have had, I guess you could say, like improved or more free will, meaning like I can consciously choose more often what I'm going to do in my life because I'm not just living my life to avoid emotions, right? I'm, I'm, I developed the ability to feel or a willingness to feel things that um, I actually, for most of my life, I didn't even know that I was not willing or, uh, you know, uh, avoiding uh, over and over again. And then having these moments of dysfunction that, made my life harder and worse right this is the borderline pattern you basically you don't know what to do with your emotions so you try to hide them all the time and you know you get really anxious about any emotions showing um or you know like if people are trying to say or do things that would get your emotions activated you become quite anxious like you know like what's going to happen next what bad thing is going to happen next in my life And, uh, you know, what's going to happen with people that I'm around and are they going to evoke emotions in me that I can't manage? And you kind of like what mess is going to happen next and it's going to be all my fault kind of thing. So a person ends up in this pattern, right, where they 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 don't manage their emotions well and they uh, they they neglect themselves that way. And then it builds up. And it turns into anxiety disorder, depressive disorder, behavioral disorder. Um, And then you just kind of accumulate these bad experiences. And then you remember them all too, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, like I yelled at this person or I did this hurtful thing and, um, and I regret it. And so you end up feeling lots and lots of guilt and shame. And you just kind of carry this around with you, right? And you also start to think that you're, uh, in general, just a bad person who, like, shouldn't even be alive, right? Like, it can get to that point, right? And and that's why people who have borderline sometimes get quite suicidal or they think that they should be punished and uh, they could end up uh, self-harming, cutting themselves or doing other reckless things as a way of kind of, like, getting back at themselves for being such a, a bad human being kind of thing, right? Um maybe they were taught that you know when people behave badly they should be punished for their bad behavior Um, even if they never learned anything about 
how to work with their own emotions. Uh, and this is one of my beefs with society, I guess, right? And I mean, I guess I can understand how there needs to be consequences to actions. And But I mean, shouldn't we be also be putting this into a perspective? Like how much opportunity did this person who has these behavioral problems how much opportunity did they have to learn and grow and mature and you know did they have the same opportunities as others uh, probably not so you know keep that in mind um when you're out there you know and if you see someone who's kind of emotionally off the rails and you know you have to ask how much did that person ever or how much opportunity did that person ever have to learn in their life uh, through their their caregivers and this has a lot to do with um, developing healthy attachment as well so like again your caregivers they have to know what it means to be able to have a healthy attachment and connection with their child um, and just like you know keeping a roof over your head and paying the bills and and all that is that's that's good but it's actually that's not sufficient in terms of developing uh, a relationship a connection an attachment with your child i mean the child needs to know that you are there with them that they you understand them uh, and that they can rely on you to be able to grow and learn and learn what it means to live in their body and not have to be you know perfect so they can have emotional struggles and learn from that and they can have you know other make other mistakes in life and they can learn from that like it's always a learning process so you know you you would always say after mistakes are made like okay what can we learn from this what can we do different next time uh, but quite often there's a lot of shaming you know that comes from parents they would say you know like why you know you know better or uh why would you behave like that when we've taught you otherwise right and but again did they learn everything they needed to learn to live in their body uh just because you know you you give them a lecture or you tell them that some behavior is wrong doesn't mean that they know how to uh work through the uh, emotions that go through their body so I guess I can't make that point enough, you know, um, because people with BPD are often the most misunderstood. Uh, I think they're usually quite good people and they want to be loving and caring and they want to contribute and they usually have good hearts. Uh, but they stuff ha keeps happening. Uh, that is unfortunate. Um, because they didn't have the, you know, the training that they needed. And if they had the skills, then they would, uh, their life would look a lot different than it does. So I guess I just wanted to point that stuff out uh, in the first place. Brain development, environment, and I also want to talk about, I guess, some of my experiences when I was uh, young and uh, a lot of my history had to do with... Um, having problems in relationships uh, I struggled with feeling abandonment uh, like with uh, girlfriend relationships and um, when I felt that I was being uh, abandoned or ignored then that would really 
uh, trigger uh, uh, painful emotions. And, um, and since I didn't know what to do with those emotions, I would often get kind of angry and aggressive, right? And uh, do things in response to my feelings that uh, like usually ruined my relationships, right? Um, so, I mean, I forgive myself now for a lot of my behavior. Uh, I mean, back then it looked pretty, you know, pretty ugly. And, and there have been other, you know, incidents over my life where I've, you know, that are, don't happen, happen nearly as often. But sometimes I still struggle with, um, you know, powerful feelings of abandonment or powerful feelings of um, rejection. Uh, you know, depending on the situation and the, the context and and who's involved. I mean, another thing you c- could learn from this podcast is that um, our emotions can be more intense depending on, you know, like, where, what's happening and, and who we're talking with. So, like, if I'm talking with someone that I don't really know that well, or someone that I isn't really important to me, then, you know, the emotional challenge would probably be less than if it was someone who was like really close to me like a family member or a girlfriend or a partner right like then when the people when someone matters to you more then the emotional challenge depending on how things happen right is a lot is a lot um, more to deal with and uh, they call it being you get emotionally deregulated or dysregulated like if you can imagine like a like a wave right like a uh, like an EEG wave like it can be like kind of small or it can be like uh, have uh, be really high and really low and just like a really intense like waveform like when a when a person with BPD is dys- dysregulated it's a very big waveform right and sometimes that can happen really fast depending on what's happening what a person is thinking about and uh how they are interpreting their their life and their situations so i just wanted to make note of that like that was part of what i went through right Uh, and um like if you can imagine like for most of my life i well at least half of my life or thereabouts and until I was uh, about um, 37, I didn't really have any idea like that I didn't have this proper emotional training. Um, so I went through most of my life like making kind of like mess after mess and uh, um, dealing with situations very ineffectively in, in many cases. And I mean, it's amazing, actually, you know, when I think about it, that I, you know, I got through, got through college and I got through university. And I mean, without those skills, like, uh, it, I guess it could have been a lot worse, you know. Um, and I didn't really have any problems with um um, self-harming behaviors um, like cutting or uh, any any like seriously reckless behaviors but uh, you know I did have problems in, in relationships and uh, and I you know tried to and I didn't really know why actually um, and I guess I would quite often maybe blame others thinking it was you know it's something you know their mistake about why the relationships would fail but um, it had a lot to do with how I couldn't handle my emotions and probably the mean cruel or inappropriate things that I would have said from from time to time okay 
So, I mean, you have to know yourself. That's part of the process of uh, getting better is really getting to know like, okay, like where did I come from? What happened to me? You know, and uh, what was the situation and how much did people know how to be supportive to me? Right. So you got to know yourself that way. And you also kind of, you got to know that the world that we live in, it does not uh, consistently promote or make mental health a priority. So the fact that, you know, your parents know very little um, and their parents knew very little, like all the way down the line. I mean, that's, that's the way that um, our society or I guess the Western world anyway, that's, that's the way that it's been for a long time. Um, and so we end up learning later in life, like what happened and how to deal with it. If we're, you know, if we have that kind of interest and motivation, because people just don't learn how to take care in these ways. And I could go on and on about why, you know, I think that is so, and, uh, I know I have my, my beefs with, uh, you know, capitalism and the way that we're so, um, hyper-focused on money making and, that's been part of my um, frustration or my perception about why things like health and mental health, they just don't, don't even come close in terms of importance um, because they're, they're, those things are put first. And so, uh, and, and, you know, people are probably also embarrassed and ashamed to talk about mental health. So there's stigma as part of it. And, uh, you know, they could focus on other things that they think are the answer to all their problems. And I think sometimes religion does play that role, like where there's too much emphasis put on that as the answer, you know, to all of our relational and emotional problems. And I would certainly challenge that to say like, no, uh, a church is not a mental health clinic. And, um, so that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, when it comes to, um, religion, uh, otherwise, I wanted to just kind of mention that uh, there was uh, trauma as well in my history, like when it came to witnessing things that happened at home. And so, I mean, when I'm saying that, I guess I'm talking about modeling, you know, like what, how did the adults in your life model how to work with emotions, right? Did they... Did they talk about their feelings? Did they validate one another? Uh, you know, did they have patience for that kind of thing? Or did they, you know, did they just erupt and um, have, you know, big conflicts and on a regular basis? You know, like sometimes that's all families have. Sometimes they um, have a mixture of things where, you know, in some moments they they deal better with things than others. In some moments, it's just a total meltdown. Um, like where I come from in my childhood, I saw lots of, um, lots of conflict uh, and between parents and between siblings and parents. And, it, you know, it was extremely toxic uh, sometimes uh, to the point where it was, the, you know, like the police needed to be involved and and stuff like that. Very unfortunate, and you know, and I don't say that to be um, to be cruel to the people that I uh, I was around during my childhood. Um, 
I think my parents probably did the best that they could based on what they knew, like most parents. And they, they had their ways of dealing with things that probably didn't work very well that they tried to use. Right. And, um, ultimately it, because they were probably using the wrong tools, right. They weren't able to help themselves and they weren't able to keep a healthy relationship going and they weren't able to teach their children all the things they needed to know. They, you know, they just went on what they had to use and probably what was passed down to them, as I was saying before, you know, but kids, they need to learn about healthy communication. They need to learn how to uh, tolerate and move through difficult emotions. They need to learn how to support themselves and each other with emotions uh, and to, um, again, learn what it means to create healthy connection and attachment. Today I wanted to talk about, in particular, the fight-flight response, sometimes called the, I guess, fight-flight-freeze response. It's also been called the fight-flight-freeze-fawn response. Uh, there's different wordings for it, but you just need to be aware that this is a big part of having borderline personality disorder. So why is it important to know this? So what happens to a person who is struggling with BPD? Um, if you know someone who struggles with it, or if you are a person struggling from it, you have probably realized that there is a type of pattern that happens, right? What tends to happen is, is that a person with BPD has reactions to situations that are kind of inappropriate or oversized or ineffective. And it tends to happen kind of like again and again uh, without the person realizing what's going on. So they don't, they don't have an understanding of their, their biology, their, their nervous system. To them, they are just responding to life situations as it seems like they should. Like if, they, if the body is telling them that they are, there is some threat, or there, you know, there's some kind of danger, uh, then they are just going to go along with that and sort of uh, like respond to people or situations like they are actually uh, being threatened, um, even when they're not. Um, so like people with borderline are often told like, just calm down. Like, why don't you just calm down, right? Which is confusing because to them, they are experiencing uh, like a real threat, like if, if it seems like someone is uh, disrespecting or talking down or, um, you know, uh, has something else that they're doing that is, is not nice, then they're, you know, the person is going to speak to that, uh, even if it's not true. So, I mean, that's the part about interpretation and perception in there too, right? So people are always interpreting, trying to make sense of, trying to assign some meaning to what's happening in life. But the person with BPD is too often um, finding a threat that isn't actually there. But why, why does this happen to a person 
why do they end up with um, these types of uh, issues with kind of like deciphering what's happening in life. Um, so the way I look at it was like, as, and as I kind of described in a previous episode, there is, of course, a lack of learning about um, emotions and, and what to do with them. But there's also quite often, I think, in a, in a person's history, a person who has BPD, they have several moments of um, could be real physical trauma or emotional trauma, meaning that uh, they have a bad moment in childhood somewhere um, and they, it seems like they are totally al- alone in their emotional experience or they get uh, punished for having emotions and uh so in 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 a lot of ways like emotions even though you know you can't get away from them they start to seem like uh they start to seem like like your enemy in a way right because when the emotions get activated then you know bad things seem to happen uh like people get get mad at you or people reject you or you're isolated and alone and that kind of thing um, so, it, you know, it can seem like you're in these predicaments, like you're in danger, uh, like it feels awful to be, say, alone in, in totally alone in a feeling of rejection or totally alone in a feeling of uh, abandonment, right? So if that's imprinted in you, like early in life, um, Or like lots of other feelings too, guilt, rejection, shame, like uh, worthlessness, like there's lots, right? And we don't even know what to call these emotions when we're little. But these experiences can be imprinted in our nervous system, in our brain. And then we end up going throughout life wanting to try and avoid repeating those types of experiences. So, you know, if it seems like some social situation or some interaction is leading to, you know, another rejection or another abandonment or another whatever awful feeling experience, then a person with BPD is going to try and uh, like stop that from happening by, you know, it could be by, by any means necessary, really. Uh, uh, but I mean, in in different cases, it's different, right? Like uh, in my case, it would often be uh, like anger and, uh, you know, telling people to like, whatever, stop treating me that way or, uh, you know, giving up on relationships, um, that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, but for others, I mean, it can be a lot more intense, a lot more extreme. And like I had more extreme reactions sometimes too, because I mean, sometimes it can it can build in 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 a interaction, right? Like, if a person with BPD is starting to point out how they feel threatened or starting to have some reaction, and the people are telling them it's not happening or to calm down, and you know that tends to make it flare up even more, and then you know it can build to a point where you know people kind of say and do really wild or reckless things. So, like you can see, it's really important to try and understand like what is actually happening in your body when you're having these moments so that you can start to take some responsibility and start to uh, 
learn how to stabilize uh, the brain and come out of the fight-flight reaction that you're having. That isn't really needed, like for the situation that you're in. Like most most life moments, we don't need a fight-flight response. Like we're not actually in mortal danger most of the time, right? Like I often meet with people in my practice, right? And, you know, you can see that they're, they're anxious, their leg is shaking or they're, you know, they're fidgeting a lot. And so it, it almost looks like they're, pardon me, they're like constantly in this fight flight uh, response. Their body is sort of like primed for something bad's going to happen. Something bad's going to happen. Um, even though it's not. And I say like, as you know, is there anything really dangerous in the room kind of thing, right? Just to start to develop that understanding, like, look, the, your fight flight system is being activated right now. Uh, it's not really needed. There's nothing dangerous that's going to happen to you while you're, you know, you're here in the office. We're just talking. Um, but that's sort of the beginning of that kind of awareness that there's this, uh, uh, there's an overactivation going on in their body and it, and it's not needed, like, because they don't need to fight off a predator or they aren't being attacked by anybody by any means, like, uh, you know, not being attacked physically. They're not being, their character isn't being attacked, like nothing. And so that's kind of the beginning of that kind of awareness for, for some people and um, uh, who are unknowingly having uh, fight-flight reactions in their life and unknowingly making situations a lot harder than they need to be and and unknowingly having much more drama and difficulty in their relationships than they need to be, right? Um, I was thinking of throwing in this example. I, I was watching a basketball game the other night. My son was, plays basketball and um, I was observing the different players, right? And some of the players are, I, could, I can tell that they have an easier time with their emotions because they're able to kind of go up and down the court. And then when they're in a moment of like pressure, like where they have the ball and they need to figure out like what to do next, like they sort of, they, it doesn't look like they're heavily, uh, phased by it. Like they, they kind of, they, they are able to choose what they're going to do instead of just like instantly react to what, you know what, like just throw the ball anywhere. Like they just kind of, they look around and they don't really worry a, a, a huge amount. Uh, they might kind of fake the fake throwing the ball here, fake throwing the ball there. And, and they just kind of, ca- it seems like casually kind of decide or have a response of what they're going to do. And then other players, would they would get the ball and they would immediately react, I would say, instead of respond. Like they wouldn't take time to or as much time to figure out what to do. But that, you know, playing the game of basketball, I think that's a good analogy. And, um, and like, if you play, like if you're a better player, you respond instead of react, right? Because you don't, you don't impulsively react. You, you think a little bit about what you're going to do. And in life, it's like that. Like when you're in a social situation or, uh, you know, at, at work or whatever at school or, in your marriage or whatever, like you kind of need to, you can't be in, impulsively instantly reacting to everything, right? You need to be able to be able to use all of your brain and have uh, an, an effective reaction as much as possible to each situation. 
And that's what the person with BPD is like missing. Like they're that, they're the basketball player that reacts too fast. And then they probably aren't able to achieve the goal, like of getting the basket as effectively as the person who take, you know, is more regulated emotionally and can choose what they're going to do and who they're going to throw the ball to, or if they're just going to throw the ball in the net, whatever. So when you're working on yourself, you want to become that player. You want to be that basketball player that is able to respond, right? And you need to know how to get there so that your brain and the way that you, you use your brain in your body is different than what you've done in the past. Um, so like, and once you realize this, you can be, you can let go of so much guilt and shame, like, cause people with BPD often judge themselves so harshly. They would say, you know, I'm such an awful person that I have these reactions in situations that don't go well. Right. Cause um, after the bad moments happen, they're, they're often feeling lots of regret and shame. Like, I, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. You know, I care about that person. And so they beat themselves up. It's like, they're almost thinking, I need to punish myself to get better. But that's not, that doesn't work. Punishing yourself just means you just get stuck in self-judgment. So you're just be feeling a lot, you're carrying around lots of guilt and shame. In addition to having regular challenges moment to moment in life. So it's just like adding more difficulty to your life. So it's better instead of punishing yourself, it's better to realize that there is a biological thing going on here uh, that you're having like, like almost like PTSD responses or sorry, reactions, I should say PTSD reactions to like almost every moment of your life probably. And that is not working. And it's not your fault that it turned out this way. Like it's a combination of your uh, genetics and the things that happened to you. And, you know, like you didn't learn how to live with your emotions. You didn't learn how to have optimal brain functioning in uh, uh, each life situation. You didn't have probably good role models in many ways to teach you how what effective responding looks like. So, you know, you could model, uh, copy that. So it's not your, you know, it's really not your fault. Like you, you need to let go of that guilt and shame about uh, struggling uh, with your emotions. Um, but at the same time, you also need to learn how to take responsibility. So, I mean, just because uh, we don't get dealt a good hand of cards in life, it doesn't mean that we're off the hook for learning, right? We still have to take responsibility for our uh, for how to live in our body and how to be um, wise, effective, decent human beings. Um, and it it kind of sucks. It's like not doesn't seem very fair because some people uh, they do get dealt a different hand in life. You know, they might have a different um, neurology, a different um, bit of a different brain chemistry, uh, and they have or they have a different life with different kinds of parents. Um, but nonetheless, everybody still has to figure out how to take responsibility for what they do with their, um, their behavior and their choices in life. Um, sometimes that's a big hurdle for people. They're like, you know, if I got dealt this bad hand, then I'm not going to learn 
how to live in my body. I'm, you know, they just kind of have that attitude. But that isn't going to help them make the changes that they need if they want to have a different life experience, a better life experience. So I encourage you to, you know, invest a bit of time learning about this uh, subject and, you know, like what's been happening to you uh, over the years. I don't have, uh, you know, all the brain areas memorized. I I know that there's the, uh, you know, stuff is happening in the amygdala, in the limbic system. Stuff is happening in the hippocampus. Um, Those are usually, I think, overactive in the brain when you're having a PTSD response. And then the parts of the brain that are supposed to help you like regulate and think things through, I think the anterior cingulate, anterior cingulate cortex, something like that, and the prefrontal cortex, those are, pardon me, those are underactive when you're in a bad moment. Those are the parts of the brain that are supposed to help you think things through and have uh, and, and, and make a decision that is more effective so that you can have a better life experience or reach your goals or whatever. So when you're uh, figuring out BPD and when you're learning how to settle the brain down, uh, you're actually learning how to get those systems working together. The emotional area and the, I guess, the executive functioning area, you want them, those areas of the brain, you want them working together good so that you can have a nice balance between the right level of emotion and um, logical thinking, reasoning, capacity. So that's what, that's what we're going for here, is to have those those parts of the brain working in a nice nice symmetry, I guess you could say. Okay? Um, so the next part I, I wanted to point out, I guess, is the... Uh, so like what happens if... What happens if you don't learn how to learn about this and, the, you know, it just keeps... The, the system keeps getting overactivated again and again unnecessarily, right? Like, uh, what happens is, uh, is that you actually start to have not only problems in your regular life, right? Because, I mean, the way you're interacting with things and people is not helping. Um, And you're beating yourself up probably, and that's not helping. Uh, Like, the other thing is that your, your, uh, your body starts to take a beating and your nervous system starts to take a beating. Uh, Like, because, because it's like, it's cranked up too often. Sometimes I use this example with people. Like, uh, if you're driving a car, right? And do you always have the engine like cranked full, like, uh, you know, full on? So that, you know, you have the, the, the gas full all the way down and the engine running on hot uh, all the, you know, most of the day. Like, no, right? You like most of the time, it's just sort of like somewhere in the middle. You're using just enough engine power to get to where you want to go. Uh, but if, like, say you had your car parked, right, and you were just pressing on the gas and the engine was just uh, going full bore all, you know, for hours or, or days, right? Like, what would happen to your engine? Like, it would just start to break down, right? Things would start breaking. It would overheat. Uh, you know, it, it would probably seize in some way eventually. Maybe it would blow up. I don't know. But, uh, like, that's kind of what's happening with people with BPD. They're, they're the engine part of their system, right? Uh, that part that uh, uh, keeps them safe from real danger is like activated too much. So you end up with like too much types of uh, chemicals or hormones in the body uh, that um, that are preparing you for threat, right? And uh, when you're 
when your body's prepared for threat, it's it's moving energy away from like non-essential organs towards essential organs, right? So it'll it'll move the all the blood and stuff towards the muscles and the brain so that you can be ready to fight off the the real danger that's supposedly there. And then other systems like the digestive system and the immune system, they don't get as much of the nutrients and blood and everything that they need to uh, function optimally. So uh, eventually you start running into like physical health issues, uh, like nervous system issues when you're, you know, your engine's on too much like that. Uh, I had, I developed panic disorder myself um, when I was about uh, 35 or 36 and it just came out of the blue. I was just sitting at work one day and, and then bam, like that's what panic disorder is like. It just sort of suddenly you start having extreme symptoms like the room is spinning or, you know, your heart's beating rapidly or um, you can't breathe very well or you're nauseous and it's just like it won't go away. But even though it like nothing's happening around you, right? You just start going into these panic attacks. And it's actually really quite scary. Um, for, for me, the big, the scariest part was the room kept spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And I'm like, what is going on with my brain, right? The room wouldn't stop spinning. Uh, I had no idea what was going on, you know, and, and then I was interpreting these symptoms like, oh my gosh, right? Like I'm catastrophizing. I probably have a brain tumor or something like that, right? Or, you know, something else horrible is happening to me. And so that what, did that, what did that do? That just made the anxiety even worse. Um, so until I got some uh, medication, uh, like a benzo, benzodiazepine, like Ativan, to settle that down, and it just wouldn't settle down. Um, and that was actually quite a while before I actually discovered what was going on with my body and the BPD and all that too. I came a couple of years later um, that I eventually discovered the BPD and the you know the bigger picture. But anyway, like it does it doesn't just have to be nervous system disorders. Like it could be autoimmune disorders, it could be gastrointestinal disorders like IBS, uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, like lots of weird things can happen to the body when it is not in balance and you are not knowing how to take care of yourself or how to settle down the emotional center of the brain uh, and the and the fight-flight system uh, in the body. It, it takes a toll. Uh, and I think it often quite, it contributes to just the common disorders that we see in mental health too. Just the general anxiety disorders, the, the general depressions, um, and then like, like, again, a range of physical health issues. Uh, it's and it's like, I think it turns out to be in a lot of ways kind of the body attacking itself or the body trying to say to a person like, look, something is not right. Like you need to do something, right? <laughs> like, and when I had panic disorder, it's like, wow, like there's no way I could ignore that. Um, I couldn't just suppress it, right? Or, you know, I had to like go to the hospital. I had to like totally admit I'm having a terrible anxiety problem or something's wrong with me, right? Like, so the body was communicating that I had a, a real problem, you know? Um, and sadly, with mental health, that's often the way it goes, right? Like, people don't learn about these things throughout their whole development. They don't learn a whole lot about mental health. And I've, I've uh, went on a rant about that before, but 
hey, another rant doesn't hurt. Uh, so yeah, we don't learn about our mental health while we're growing up. We don't learn how to live with our emotions. We don't learn that there needs to be a balance in the body, you know, of the, uh, you know, the emotional energy and the, you know, and our thinking, uh, logical reasoning. And so we end up just putting it off and then coming up with ways to avoid our feelings until the body just won't take it anymore. Uh, sometimes I refer people to this book that I read from Gabor, Gabor Mate. He's a well-known psychiatrist in BC, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, and he wrote a book called When the Body Says No. And it's like the body just says eventually, like, no, I'm not going to take this crap, like this negligence anymore. Like, you know, you know, now we've reached a point where we're, you know, something's, you're not, something's going to happen that you don't like because there's been too much neglect to take care of your mind and to work with your emotions. There's been too much ignoring this part of yourself, right? And, and uh, uh, people don't, you know, know exactly that that's what the body is saying, but that, that's basically what the body is saying. So if you, you, know, you suddenly come up with some illness that sort of seems to come out of the blue, some, maybe some autoimmune disease, or maybe some like nervous disorder, right? Like panic disorder. Like the body is saying, like, you need to look into this and learn some more about living in your body. Because you, you're not uh, taking care of a part of me. <laughs> and uh, that's not the way, you know, living in a body works. And it's usually like, I think what I've found with people, working with people over the last 10 years in a clinic, it seems like it's somewhere in the mid-30s to the maybe the mid-40s, somewhere in there. It's like people can ignore things and be negligent and right of their of their their mental health they can do it you can get away with it for a while until you until the body says no um so you know if you're you're probably realizing you know that mental health is a real deal and something you need to pay attention to you're probably in your your mid-30s somewhere in there i mean not always i mean sometimes people come in a bit earlier you know but i would say like by and large you know uh, that most people try and get away with ignoring this part of their health for a lot of years and you know they can sort of pull it off and still stay functional for a while uh, people with BPD on the other hand I think it's it might take it might uh, happen a bit earlier earlier in some cases because I mean the emotional experience is so extreme and it's causing you know so many uh, problems in life with relationships and and so forth and it probably takes a toll on the body faster because it's just like the emotion is running even or the the emotions and like the the car engine so to speak is is running even hotter than like other people for you know earlier in life kind of thing and uh taking a toll more of a toll earlier in life i guess because people with bpd tend to have a more extreme emotional experience than average <clears throat> but anyway in my case, I guess, and the way I experienced life, it, it was the mid-30s for me. And, and my borderline is probably a little bit m milder than others. Like, uh, like I've said to before in the podcast, I didn't have super extreme behaviors. Like most of my reactions were like anger and just, just not effectively dealing with situations verbally. Uh, like I didn't have a lot of the other extreme behaviors like, um, like uh, being suicidal or cutting myself or... Um, uh, whatever severe substance abuse or um, being uh, 
dissociated from myself in a severe way. Like, so, I mean, I was probably on the milder end of BPD, but nonetheless, it was still BPD. Uh, but there are more extreme versions out there, and that's that doesn't mean anything about a person's quality as a human being. It just means uh, that uh, those are some of the things that they try to use to get by in life, um, to survive, basically, right? Because when you don't know how to survive, like when you don't know how to take care of your health and stay functional and survive, people will just, they'll reach for anything, right? They'll do whatever they comes to mind to try and keep things working. And if for some people it means self-harm, for some people it means like substance use, and other people it might mean uh, uh, pornography or sex or it's just different. People find different ways to get by when they don't know any better. One of the most common things that occurs for anyone struggling with an emotional regulation disorder like BPD, and that is misunderstanding, misinterpretation, and assumptions, and how this tends to undermine almost every situation where it happens. So to talk more about misunderstanding, misinterpretation, and assumptions. So what happens for people who are um, not yet self-aware uh, sufficiently about their emotional experience or have developed a sufficient capacity and tolerance for feeling different things all different types of emotions, um, both the positive and the negative, I suppose, there will be a tendency to try and quickly make sense out of things that happen in life. Um, because as I was saying in episode three, the fight-flight system uh, where we are reacting to perceived danger is often switched on for a person with BPD. Uh, so they are like, they're interpreting many life situations as being, you know, there's going to be some painful thing is going to happen. There's going to, you know, I'm going to feel something that I don't like, or uh, I'm going to have a bad experience, or, you know, someone is going to say something to me, it's going to hurt me, uh, or result in some other bad thing. So the fight flight, uh, system is, is often switched on and what that the consequence of that uh, is um, that there's sort of a rush to to make sense out of things so that a person can be like what can I do to make sure that I stay safe in this situation um, so basically some event will happen in their life someone they could be talking to someone about uh, any subjects um, about, you know, in their relationship or at work. And, um, the you know, the first way that they make sense of the situation and probably kind of overestimating danger, uh, which I'll talk about further uh, again as well. Anyway, that will be their first, very first interpretation of the event. And the, they will respond 
as though their assumption, their interpretation of the situation probably and that interpretation only encompassing a small amount of information they will act on that assumption uh, and that will usually create somewhat of a conflict or a drama or confusion uh, for whoever they're talking to right um, and the thing is this happens really fast and people who are in the early stages of learning about borderline personality disorder, they don't even really realize that they are making interpretations, uh, like making meaning out of situations. And that as soon as that happens so fast, they, they make an interpretation, it turns into uh, an emotion. Uh, whatever that emotion is that connects with the interpretation so if they you know if a person feels like they're being put down then they feel put down or devalued or low worth they feel that so strongly right because the um the emotional center is so strong um or just runs so hot right for a person with borderline um so they they get immediately attached to that interpretation which means that they're thinking like this is the reality this is what is happening there's no disputing it i you know these are the facts um my you know the way that i feel is the truth um so they get like locked onto this uh, perception this assumption um and then when when they're in, in a discussion with somebody and say someone has a different viewpoint or a different uh, perspective, opinion, whatever, right? Uh, it feels very um, invalidating to to hear that, which can make the person with BPD get even more upset, right? Because they're not feeling understood, which is another very important thing that we need to talk about, uh, which is um, validation. Uh, and I'll get to that about, you know, when and how to do that when you're working with someone who's struggling with an emotion regulation disorder. <clears throat> so they get stuck on the interpretation uh, and it, they become very rigid, kind of very black or white in the way that they're looking at the, the situation and what it all means. Um, and when this almost inevitably, right, turns into... Uh, some kind of conflict or drama with whoever they're dealing with or they make they assume you know that they have the right answer for some situation and it's a mistake you know they they find out later that they they did misinterpret the situation um then there can be you know a lot of embarrassment and shame um or if they got really emotional and overreacted to, with the person that you know their friend or their significant other their loved one right or they they ended up saying some things that they regret uh becoming you know because when you get really emotional and you feel really invalidated you can get kind of aggressive or, or really passive aggressive and then later on you feel regret uh, remorse shame because you don't want to hurt the relationship it just sort of seems to happen because the emotions are not well managed uh, and it's so so frustrating um, so it's important to understand though like 
when a person is sort of stuck in this fight flee sorry fight flight uh, mode that they you know you're not able to use all of the brain because uh you know parts of the brain kind of like take over and other parts are kind of shut down like the the thinking reasoning executive functioning areas uh like the prefrontal cortex or like the emotional center just sort of dominates right and then so you can't think things through in a more rational way and you end up like not being able to put thoughts to words very well problem solve you get sort of the scattered racing thoughts experience and so you just can't deal with situations well uh, and then you know after a while after moment after moment of trying to work through life situations and then it doesn't um it, it the outcome is not what you want uh and you can end up blaming yourself saying like you know i'm just such a crappy person you know feeling and then you feel so ashamed or i should have known how to deal with this this situation uh, it's sort of like assuming that you're you should know how to deal with all the emotional challenges and get the brain functioning optimally when you have never known how to actually pull that off and you probably don't even know, you know, like that BPD is an actual thing. Uh, and it happens to people all over the place, uh, all over the world. <clears throat> so you can blame yourself, um, shame yourself, uh, think very poorly of yourself when, when you have lots of these difficult moments of getting stuck in assumptions and misinter misinterpretations and taking things the wrong way right and and then and then when people they might get mad at you because you're in their view like you are being irrational and uh you're not um dealing with things in a in a in a in a mature way i guess right and there is some truth to that but you have to know how to support somebody uh, through a moment like that if you're going to be um, helpful in their life. I mean, because usually what happens is uh, a person has what we could call a BPD moment, right? So like the fight, fight flight system is on, the emotions take over, they get attached to their initial interpretation. It all happens so fast, they don't even see it. Uh, and then you know, they have some kind of reaction or behavior and then the people in their life get mad about what you know how things are happening um you know it, it is frustrating to be in a bpd moment with someone who doesn't realize they're having a bpd moment right um so it, it can kind of deteriorate you know fairly quickly and um sometimes you know people just try to go silent when they have lots of bpd moments you know because they realize that you know if i talk about how i feel then it's not going to go well or if i if i react in some way people are going to punish me or shame me and uh you know it's just gonna it could ruin my life or relationships and so but then if you're being silent right when you're having a difficult feeling experience that doesn't solve problems either um so things a lot of things remain unaddressed uh or you could feel very you know very powerless in your life because you're not um putting words to your thoughts and you're not contributing to problem the problem solving process so it's important to get to this point of 
kind of kind of going like okay i have this um i have this kind of disability you could say for now where i i make hasty interpretations and my emotions get really amplified very quickly and that uh that turns into a, a problem for me and the people that i am interacting with and you don't want this to continue, right? You want your life to go more smoothly. You want to be able to solve problems. You want your interactions to be enjoyable. Uh, and I've said this before, I think most people who suffer from BPD, they really just want to have a better life. Uh, they really just want to have uh, enjoyable relationships and they don't want their emotions to take over or undermine their life they just want things to go you know as smoothly as possible as smoothly as you know human life can allow <laughs> so so the good news is you know we don't have to like live like this it doesn't have to be a permanent way of being and you know and that can be another um irrational thought or another lie that a person with bpd could tell themselves they could they could say you know you know my whole life is going to be like this so they could generalize you know to the future or predict try to predict the future say it's always going to be bad i'm never going to have a good relationship and you know i should just you know give up or die and people with bpd often get to that place after they've had many bad moments where they just want to give up because it's you know it's disappointing it's painful that you feel guilt and shame you don't want to hurt people uh so you know you can get to that point where you're like i'm just a burden on people i make their life harder and i don't i know i don't want to do that so you got to kind of you got to go okay this is a thing and um you know with the right understanding with the right skills and tools with the right learning I can um, make uh, improvements to the way my, my brain functions. I can learn to manage difficult emotions. And um, the people in my life, they can also understand me a bit better. Uh, and, and they can use some skills that help me uh, to settle some of the emotions. Uh, hint, hint, validation is one of them anyway. But I'm going to talk about that more and more as we go here that that one skill area it's it's one of the most important in in my view not the only one but it's an, it's very uh important so as you start to learn more things like the things that um, are taught in dialectical behavior therapy things like mindfulness and things uh, and other you know emotion regulation skills and how to be effective in interpersonal situations how to tolerate distress effectively like these are things that you start to acquire and as you learn more and more about it and start to practice then you know the situations in your life start to shift start to change like you might not make uh, an assumption as quickly as you used to right you might learn how to uh, sit with the feelings a bit longer and you know the, your brain starts to function a bit differently and you take in a little bit more information than you used to than you used to when uh, when you're in a you know an interpersonal situation start to maybe remember some of more of the facts because it's easy to ignore or forget the facts when your emotions 
take over. So it's, you know, it's very key, very important that you you start to develop uh, self-awareness or learn how to self-reflect. Uh, and then eventually that gives you the ability to kind of step outside yourself and also sort of step outside interpersonal interactions so that you can see what's happening when it's happening. And this is kind of like, uh, it's like you you are kind of blind in a way before you develop more of your skills for managing thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. It's like uh, Marsha Linehan, she made the example, and she's the developer, founder of Dialectical Behavior Therapy. I watched one of her videos once, and she said that a, a person who has yet to develop some of these skills is like blind, and it's like they're that person is going through a room where there's a bunch of furniture, all the lights are off, and they're just sort of tripping over the furniture, right? Because they can't see where the furniture is. So they're just kind of running into it, tripping over it. They, they can't see what's happening, when it's happening. So they, they can't see the types of thoughts that they're having. They can't see the, the emotions. They can't see the connections between the thoughts and the emotions and the behaviors, right? It's all sort of like, it all seems to be just happening out of awareness or automatically. So, you know, where that leaves us is to I would start to break it down a bit more. So, the, you know, the sooner that you can start to see uh, or, ch- or piece things together, chain things together and, uh, you know, get kind of really well versed at this, uh, then you can take more effective action in these different moments and also kind of like uh, like blame and shame yourself less because, you know, you can see this is happening fast. I need to be able to get the hang of this. It's like, you know, learning any kind of complex skill, uh, like I mentioned before in the last episode, like it could be a, like surfing or skateboarding or snowboarding, right? Like it t- or what, any other like skill area, you know, that takes some time to get the get the uh, get the moves, you know, <laughs> get the balance right uh, so that you can do what you need to do in the moment to reach your goal, which is to like, if you're a skateboarder to pull off the stunt, the trick on the, on the half pipe or, you know, jumping down the stairs or whatever you're doing on your skateboard, right? You need to be able to put the moves together in the right way and use your body in the right way. Okay. So that's the part there about uh, being able to see. Now, I guess I'll just speak to this a little bit. Like, um, so BPD is an interactional disorder. I think like it, you have BPD moments, like you can have them alone, but a lot of it happens when you're with people, like when you're interacting, right? Cause you're, when people are interacting, they're, they're making interpretations of what people are saying. And so a lot of emotional stuff, and especially if you, um, the person you're talking to is someone important to you, you know, like a, a partner or a, a parent or even a brother or sister, you know, like, or, or a good friend, right? Like their words can impact you harder. Uh, like the emotional experience can be more intense, right? Because they mean more to you. So if the people you're around 
kind of like are going to be of the attitude like i don't care like about mental health or like your emotions are like your problem like that is really really going to not help a person who is genuinely experiencing uh, some mental health issues uh, it will you know it will come across as very unsupportive very invalidating um, you know, if you're just going to say to a person, well, just calm down already, or, uh, you know, you don't need to think like that, or, you know, you don't need to feel such intense emotions, you're overreacting, like, these are the words that that make things worse. And even though a person might be trying to be helpful, they are not helping with the regulating of the emotions. They are sending a message that the thoughts and feelings that the person is having, like no matter how irrational it may seem um, to an outsider, like when a person is in a BPD moment, they are convinced that they are seeing reality as it is and that they are seeing the truth they are their brain is not working in a way where they can um like be dialectical which means like being able to embrace multiple perspectives of situations their the brain is just not in that state uh in order for that to happen the emotions need to be settled they need to be regulated so that the other parts of the brain can come online um and that other you know you can think of things in different ways it's uh you need to, to have the the frontal cortex working properly so that uh you can think things through and have a more wise response to life situations okay and um it, you don't automatically be, you become wise just because you're regulating emotions like you still have to learn other skills that are offered through dialectical behavior therapy like uh, i was mentioning for example the interpersonal effectiveness skills you still have to kind of learn some more things but regulating the emotions is like a huge first step um to making things uh, go better <clears throat> so in a sense i guess you know the way i would leave this podcast today like are, you know, do you want to be able to turn on the lights? Do you want to be able to see better what's actually happening in situations? Or do you want to kind of just stick to what you've done in the past, which could be just running on autopilot, kind of running blindly, um, not being able to see what, uh, how, what the interpretation is uh, of the event that you're in? or you know like if uh, and what the consequent emotion is or set of emotions and then how that quickly translates into a behavioral response that may or may not help things one of the things i was going to mention today is um the behavioral responses um they they can often fall into kind of a few categories like the things that um, really ruin relationships so if if you're in a bpd moment for example you could um and you're you know you're you have a lot of emotional pain going on inside and you're really defensive you could do what um john gottman he's a relationship 
experts, right? Uh, John Gottman, and he came up with the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is criticism, contempt, stonewalling, and um, defensiveness. Criticism, contempt, stonewalling, defensiveness. Uh, so there's a good chance uh, if you're struggling with your emotions, the emotions are unregulated, you're going to probably throw out some of these behaviors. Uh, and, you know, when you get like two people criticizing each other back and forth or showing contempt back and forth, right? Or, uh, you know, or ignoring each other, stonewalling or just being constantly defensive, like it just turns into something more and more toxic. You know, and people wonder why, like, why do relationships blow up? Why do families blow up? Uh, you know, why do relationships end? It, it has a lot to do with, you know, whether a person has BPD or not. I mean, people can still use these very ineffective ways of being together, right? Uh, and even if their emotions aren't extreme, they could still be kind of emotionally immature or unaware uh, and how to communicate effectively, how to um, how to work through emotions together, so that you know you can both be in a more rational state of mind. So, like, even if even if you know you're accessing this podcast and you're like, well, I'm not totally BPD, like, you know, there's a good chance that you could still be falling into some of these patterns, just maybe not as extreme as um, you know someone who uh, has borderline. So, I mean, the choice is yours, really, right? Like, if you're someone who has this disorder, has this disorder or if you're a, like a family member or a partner someone of someone who has this disorder, you can choose to ignore all this information, right? Like, and just go on as usual. And, or you could invest some time in learning how to take more responsibility and be, um, be together in a more understanding, compassionate, skillful, caring way. It's really all up to uh, up to you. Like nobody can force anybody else to learn about mental health. Uh, no one else can force, you know, force you to to take these things on as a set of skills. I would definitely encourage it uh, because, you know, life can be a lot better when people understand what's actually happening. You know, when they don't understand, uh, there's a chance that they could come up with all kinds of bizarre reasoning for why, you know, people behave the way they do and why things break down, right? You know, I could come up with, you know, some examples <laughs> about, uh, you know, you know, like uh, the devil made me do it, for example. Um, uh, I would say, no, it's your uh, unmanaged emotions and your lack of skill, really, that that contributed to this difficult situation. Um, and it's also the lack of understanding and, and skill and know-how of the people that you're interacting with. Like they, they probably don't haven't learned much about mental health either, which is going to make for a mess, really. Um, you know, as mental health therapists and psychologists, I'm sure I'm not the only one. It, it's sort of, it really is mind-blowing that society and people in general don't take this more seriously. Um, like how to work with the brain, right? How to take care of the brain. How to teach children to understand and move through emotions. How it all 
can turn into a big um uh, big problems with uh, being able to enjoy life together like i think things are starting to shift a bit and you know with the internet and all this so many podcasts and things coming out and you know for people to learn like there probably is more awareness than there was 10 or 20 years ago um i just know that when like when i was in grade school that there was virtually nothing in this regard uh for 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 understanding emotions emotional disorders personality disorders right like it just didn't it just wasn't a priority and um i still kind of fear that it's not a priority for a lot of people because you know they often look at mental health as something that's embarrassing or stigmatizing they don't want to be associated with it but you know if you actually learn how to optimize your brain you learn how to deal with emotions it is a uh, a great strength so you could say you know getting these skills and understanding how to deal with emotions and knowing where to uh when and how to use these skills with people uh can give you great leverage and uh, save a lot of time and energy save relationships save families I wanted to get into the topic of validation and how it is important and even I would say essential to be included in the process of healing and supporting others who are struggling with emotional uh, regulation conditions like borderline personality disorder. And also for a person who is learning how to take care of him or herself, someone who has BPD to, to likewise learn what it means to be um, validating towards yourself or to be self-validating. So I wrote a couple articles on this topic a few years ago. And again, much of this podcast is just me speaking to these articles and my own experience um, living with BPD and working with many others in a treatment environment, uh, as I am a registered psychologist in Canada. So validation, like one of the things that really has stood out to me over the years actually and before i get into that i wanted to just kind of mention the uh episode four we were talking about how um thinking like cognition can become impaired when a person uh, doesn't have a way of effectively regulating their emotions and then that leading to um uh, behavioral issues, not being able to have effective behaviors uh, because the emotions aren't uh, uh, regulated and the whole brain isn't working together very well. So uh, I wanted to just kind of say, so the reason I'm speaking about validation is, is because it's one of the most effective ways to help regulate the emotions. Um, and it is a type of communication uh, that can be used at a particular point in time 
when a person is struggling in a moment with their thoughts, feelings, behaviors, all of that. So I just kind of wanted to relate this, that this skill kind of goes back to the, you know, the experience of misinterpretation, misunderstanding, like all those things that can be experienced by a person um, suffering from BPD. Um, and or, and in order to help them sort that out and, and for a person to help him or herself sort that out, like validation can be an important uh, part of the problem solving process. Okay, so I was going to then mention that since I've been practicing uh, in my practice here now for the last 10 years uh, in Alberta, and meeting many people, uh, of course, because, you know, we're pretty much endlessly busy, as many clinicians are in public and private practice. So what really stands out is that people often don't even know what uh, validation is or what it means or how to do it. It's, some, it's something that's been like, um, like omitted from their understanding, um, strangely. And I mean, I'm the same, like when I was, before I was practicing regularly and learning lots about therapy and, and borderline personality disorder, I didn't have a good understanding of validation either or how it could be helpful to me and, and you know, make a difference between having like a horrible life moment and, and dealing with things in uh, a lot better ways. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not a lot different than uh, the regular person. Like, even though I was in the school for this for years for psychology, and um, you know, I have lots of training. Uh, I still learned late in life what it means to learn how to effectively take care of myself emotionally. And so I've met with lots and lots of people who who don't know what it is. So what, if they don't know what it is, what do they do? So they, they're, they're communicating without uh, a way to handle emotions very well. Um, so what that means is instead of uh, seeking to understand a feeling, which is a big thing, uh, a big part of the definition of validation. So instead of that, what they often hear from others is uh, invalidation. So they would be told, you know, you shouldn't think that way or you shouldn't feel that way. So if like if they're having some feeling like, you know, I'm such an idiot or, um, you know, I'm a failure or I feel like a failure, like, so the, the people around them in their life, and maybe even the person themselves, they could invalidate the, their thought and their feelings. So they would say, no, 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 you shouldn't think like that. And you shouldn't feel that way. It's just, it's just not right. And it's just not good for you. Um, but what uh, happens when people are invalidating, even if they're caring people and they're they're trying to be supportive, but they invalidate uh, the people who are expressing things. So what happens is it actually makes the emotional experience worse uh, because like A, you feel like invalidated, like they're not really getting it. They're not understanding. Uh, they're not taking the time to... Um, really hear you 
So you can feel kind of dismissed, ignored, uh, misunderstood, frustrated, like they're not getting you on the emotional level. And this is so very, very common. And people don't even realize that they're doing this to themselves and each other. Uh, and so it, because it makes the emotional experience worse than it was when they first started expressing themselves, uh, people will often end up going like silent uh, or just kind of like giving up on trying to express what they think and feel because there's a very good chance that uh, the person or the people they're around are going to invalidate their feelings. And for a person who has borderline because they feel their emotions with such great intensity, remember I was saying how the, the amygdala in, in the, the limbic region of the brain, uh, is it's running hot uh, for a person with BPD generally. So they're going to experience that invalidation very intensely. You know, and it could lead to... Um, the person with BPD getting angry, you know, or, or you know, responding in, in some other way that tends to make matters worse. And for the people around them to again say, well, just calm down, like, you know, you're being irrational or, you know, uh, you're making for a, a bad situation, you're making bad choices, like, Right. So <laughs> while that person listening and responding may be like logically correct, they are still making the situation worse because they're, you know, they're trying to force rational thinking on a person who is emotionally deregulated. So it's you're trying to force someone to think logically um, or, you know, influence them. So you're trying to influence someone to think logically who can't in that moment think logically because their emotions are so deregulated, so intense. And so what happens with, uh, with people is they often go back and forth a few times, right? Like, so... Uh, they might get the person with BPD might get angry. They might even say, you're not listening to me. Uh, they might get uh, express frustration or, or other feelings about other related subjects and stay like, you know, like intense in their expression. And then the people that are around them will continue to invalidate their feelings. Like you shouldn't feel that way. You just calm down. Uh, you're, you know, you're, here we go again, kind of thing. And you, you do that back and forth a few times, right? And then things can get really toxic uh, where people get physical or you know, people can just uh, give up and ignore one another. And, and then they're totally on their own in their, in their awful uh, emotional experience, uh, the person with BPD. And, you know, they could go into their room and do uh, self-harm behavior as a way to, to cope, perhaps, or, or use some substances or do something else, right? Something to get some relief when they don't have another way yet underst understood, like an, an, another way learned to work through the emotional experience. And this is like the sad, sad thing. So a person with BPD has these ineffective responses, these um, 
and, and then other ineffective things that they do, behaviors to try and cope. And so they look like they're on the surface. They look like they like they just have a bad attitude or they don't care. Um, they, you know, they just want to make life difficult for people. But that's not true. Uh, what they are really needing is a way to uh, uh, settle the emotion down. Um, and validation is one good way to do that. And it happens during interaction. Remember how I've said before how BPD is like an, an interaction disorder um, quite often. Like not always does a person experience intense emotions around others they can do it alone too like if they're just remembering something or you know driving in a car or, or whatever but you can experience uh, a lot of painful stuff when you're around people because of the things that are said and the way things get interpreted uh, which leads to the you know intense emotion a person for example could you know again feel like they're being disrespected or put down or uh, judged right by another or or they could think that the person is thinking bad thoughts about them just by their facial expression i mean these things these things happen um and in order to uh, bring this situation into a, a more peaceful settled uh, state yes the communication is vital here and the awareness of what is happening to a person so validation is like you're, uh, you're seeking to try and understand you're, you're being curious with a person. So you, you know, you ask, you take the time to inquire and ask what, what's happening for you right now? You know, like, what are, what are your feelings? Uh, so, you know, you gotta be very purposeful here. So you're, so instead of, um, trying to immediately shut them down and tell them that they're being irrational. Instead, you're going to take a moment to listen. And, you know, I know that in the fast-paced culture that we're, most of us are in, uh, people don't like to take time to, to, for listening, especially to things like feelings, right? And, I mean, people have all kinds of attitudes about, you know, emotions and their place in, in our lives and, you know, and if people should be dealing with them all by themselves or, or what have you. Uh, so, you know, that's a part of this uh, podcast too. Like, what is your attitude about emotions and how people uh, should deal with them? Um, but if you're going to be validating, you're, you're going to be having the attitude like well it's okay to take time to listen to somebody to uh try and understand empathically what you know they're they're feeling so you are asking open questions about about what's happening like what are you feeling right now what's going on for you and so and then taking the, the time to hear what a person has to say to try and step into their shoes what are they thinking and feeling how did they get to feeling that way so they might tell you you know this and this and that this is how this situation is happening for me this is what i think i'm seeing or perceiving or what i what i think you're thinking of me for example and uh and again people are impatient right so they want to immediately try and correct somebody's thinking 
instead of going like i so you're saying that you know you're feeling uh like disrespected by me like it or it seems like uh i i'm i'm rejecting i'm being rejecting is that what it is so it's like being curious uh after you know asking them and listening like is that right um so you want to see if you're on the right track when you're asking um you know these these kinds of uh open-ended curiosity types of questions and uh, quite often uh, people will tell you you know no that's not quite right that's not quite what it is and so you need to then take some more time to uh, hear them out like what is it really that's happening then you know and how are you perceiving this situation uh, and then they'll tell you uh, more information hopefully if they're feeling that you you know genuinely are interested and care to hear what they have to say and are willing to um, um, relate back to them you know the feeling words that you hear them expressing and sometimes people don't have very much emotional vocabulary and that can be a bit of an issue here too uh, so you know how can you effectively validate somebody uh, and try and understand the types of feelings that they're experiencing if you can't sort of help them you know put some emotional words like out there like you're feeling is it that you're feeling uh, hurt or you're feeling guilty uh, maybe you're feeling ashamed uh, and trying you know trying to put put it together so you can see how their thoughts and their feelings go together so hopefully like as i'm saying this kind of stuff you i mean you can look up validation on the internet and there's probably lots of youtube videos about it so i mean someone who can explain this a lot better than me but the big the big point is that uh if you're going to be helpful for a person struggling with their emotions this is one of the things you can do to help them uh in the moment and you sort of have to turn off the old way of trying to immediately correct their thinking and behavior. Because what you're doing, if you're just trying to immediately correct the thinking and behaviors, you're skipping over the emotions, entirely not even going into the emotional experience at all. And when people continue to skip over or neglect the emotional experience uh, in their conversations, and take no time to try and deal with that then things get ignored and they they build up inside of people and the, that build up of emotional energy especially the the more negative types of emotional energy that just stays in the body stays unprocessed i mean that eventually leads to more difficulties with uh, moods and with behaviors and uh, other you know arguments down the road and staying kind of confused in the mind the emotions need to be identified properly labeled um understood for where they what they are and where they come from and um and uh, you know I, a person just needs to be given permission to be able to feel even if they're not in a totally rational place if you start by trying to understand then it helps the emotional center of the brain settle which then opens up more opportunity to think in other ways 
So, I mean, if you just look at it like, okay, I got to, I'm going to do whatever I can to help this person uh, settle the emotional center of the brain. And I'm going to learn more about how to be validating and not only just validating, but validating in a genuine way. Cause I mean, it can come across as really fake uh, or non-genuine. Like if you're just, just sounding robotic, like, you know, you know, I see that you're feeling put down, you know, or you don't sound like you care. If you don't sound like, like you're really interested or in, in that you want to listen, I mean, a person with BPD or anyone for that matter could pick up on that lack of genuineness and that just, uh, that just would make the situation worse as well. Because it just, it would just really feel like you don't care and um, you don't want to put in the time or effort to try and work things out you know now this you know could sound a lot like it's all in the hands of other people you know to help a person with bpd and the person with bpd doesn't have to help themselves uh and that's not the case uh all i'm saying is that if you are someone who knows someone who struggles then that's a way that you can be helpful. A person with BPD still needs to learn how to um, have validating self-talk, you know, to be able to say to themselves, um, it's okay, you know, I can just try to notice what I'm feeling and put the word to it and give myself permission to feel and tell myself that it's okay um, and that it's understandable, you know, validating language like that. Uh, a person with BPD can learn to give that to themselves as well, uh, as well as a host of other strategies that we'll talk about as the podcast continues. So, you know, please don't think that I'm saying that other people have to take emotional responsibility for a person with BPD. All I'm saying is that they can learn how to be uh, supportive and in a way that actually works and that way can probably seem quite counterintuitive because we are so used to um, skipping over the emotions and trying to force logical thinking uh, and that doing that is very i would say it's invalidating is the best word invalidating because the emotions are being ignored basically so i wanted to Put that out there uh, primarily today. Um, I guess I wanted to also st uh, say and talk about some of the long-term consequences of um, maintaining an invalidating way of being with yourself or being with others. I mean, it's what we see when BPD... Uh, goes to the furthest extent possible, right? We're untreated. Um, so a person ends up continuing to have loads and loads of irrational thoughts, very, very painful emotions, uh, not being able to release them from their from the body, uh, not being able to think in rational ways. So, you know, and then consequently having all those behaviors and making decisions that make life harder and harder. So, I mean, you can, you probably know where this road ends, right? Um, so, like, untreated BPD, if it's, you know, a, a more severe case, eventually a person wants to uh, die. They want to commit suicide. This is, and it's, of course they would, right? It's so understandable. 
that they would want to not live anymore because they are so often in intense emotional pain that they don't know how to deal with and that the people around them don't know how to help and you know even even when the people around them are caring loving people and they don't know what to do like they're they're making it worse um and a person with bpd is like they start judging themselves like i should um i should be appreciative right of the way my loved ones are so caring and trying to help me like even though when they talk to me in the ways that they do those invalidating ways uh it makes my pain even worse um so they you know a person with bpd not knowing any better judges themselves blames themselves for not knowing how to deal with this uh and that uh you know the 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 ways that their others are trying to help you know should be working even though they're not so then they think that they're just you know a, a defect a factory reject like and that they can't function in other parts of their life or relationships can't go well work and occupations can't go well and anything that involves relationships right uh, this seems to just um be seem impossible if things keep breaking down right um and then like all the other things that might happen with uh, the impulsive reckless behaviors and how that can lead to other consequences like in borderline personality disorder the consequences just keep piling up and piling up and it just seems like it's all your fault right like you should have known not to you know not to do those things and uh you know you should have known i'm being sarcastic here you should have known how to uh take care of those feelings you know on your own even though you never had any uh proper understanding or perspective or skill development uh while you were uh growing up even though you didn't understand the consequences of ignoring emotions and not knowing how to uh, settle and process emotions so you got to ask yourself like how how much a person with bpd how much should i be judging myself as a bad person when i didn't know sort of the first thing about uh, my nervous system perceptions interpretations uh the uh how to settle emotions how emotions that aren't settled affect my rational thinking centers in my brain like a person with bpd doesn't know any of this and yet they're judging themselves and others are often judging them like you should have known better um so you know keep that in mind please like uh anyone listening that is you know has an urge to judge someone who struggles with their feelings and their behaviors there's a very very good chance that they never had the opportunity to learn these things and they probably also had some other awful experiences and traumas that um, made their condition even harder to manage um so i like to be kind of an advocate for people struggling with this disorder because i mean i know what it's like to live with this and for for to be judged by others based on like things that you don't even understand um so i i, I really want to kind of let you know that um 
I am with you if you are yet to come out of that place. Um, I think I can fairly say that uh, I get it. And um, it really doesn't have to be this hard. You can learn things like validation and other skills, and you can inform the people around you that that is what will be helpful if they learn how to do it properly. Um, and learn about other parts of the condition as well. You can make uh, uh, many awful life moments, you can turn them into not so bad moments. Because life is already hard, right? I mean, it's hard to uh, figure out how to survive and get through life and have some enjoyable experiences. Like, and learn everything and manage everything about your life and the uh, all the responsibilities. Um, so, and, and to, to, to manage all those other things about life, it's really hard if you don't yet know how to live in your body. So I just wanted to put it out there today, you know, that validation is e essential uh, to, to learn how to do, how to offer it to others, uh, and being willing to take the time to do it instead of rushing through conversations and being impatient and skipping over the emotions. So, you know, you can learn how to do this. I think it takes a bit of time to kind of get the knack of it. It's like learning any other skill. You don't do it really well at the beginning. Uh, it's a bit of an art form, I guess you could say. Um, but once, you know, you learn how to like properly insert it into conversations and how to come across as genuine and caring, um, and also for a person with BPD to also learn how to give that to themselves, self-validation um, in a way that works for them. That, that can take some time to figure out as well. Uh, but it, it works as a way to settle the emotions. When a person senses that their emotions are understandable and that they make sense in the moment, for how they're looking at things in the moment, it helps to settle that part of the brain. And of course, uh, as I was saying, when the emotions are settled, the other parts of the brain can kind of sync up and work in a nice symmetry. And a person can also be more open to suggestions, uh, like of other information and facts, other logic, right? But I mean, again, if you're going to be of the attitude that um, we shouldn't need to take the time to do this uh, and, you know, a person should be forced to think logically and deal with the emotions all by themselves, <clears throat> you're, you're asking for trouble uh, and just making it, it harder for the person uh, with BPD who is probably desperately wanting to figure out a way to have a better life and to not fall into the darkest pits of, you know, suicidal ideation. Because uh, life can be enjoyable uh, if we understand better how things are happening. And today we are going to focus on learning more about BPD patterns. And I'd also like to talk about a particular paradigm shift 
uh, that anyone entering into mental health, I would say, needs to understand how to make this paradigm shift or different way of looking at things and operating than they have had in the past. So, BPD patterns. And I wanted to make the analogy today. Uh, they can be helpful, you know, comparing to other uh, things in life. And today I wanted to make the analogy of the mechanic. Um, so, a person who is learning about him or herself and how to make adjustments and corrections to borderline personality disorder needs to become sort of like their own mechanic and others in their life can be assistance to the uh, mechanic. So when you think of a mechanic, um, what, I mean, what do you see him or her doing? They're working on a car or a truck, of course, right? In a garage. And they have the, the hood open or they have the car or the truck up on a hoist. And so what is one of the things that a mechanic needs to do his or her work? Well, one of the things they need is to be able to see what the issues are. So they need light, right? They need, they need to be able to see the different parts. Um, so you might often see them having some kind of lamp in their hand or some other kind of light that, um, so it illuminates what they're looking at uh, so they can see clearly. Uh, and this is very important in mental health and in particular borderline personality disorder. You need to be able to see what's happening, uh, how the parts are working or not working, how what's happening with the different connections, and if things are, you know, connected properly, if things are working in the way that they need to. And, I mean, the other thing, when you think about a mechanic, they don't like if they look at the vehicle and they see a problem, they don't, they aren't judgmental about it, right? Like they're not going, oh my gosh, like this is so ridiculous that these connectors fell apart or that this piece rusted out. And it's, you know, they aren't like fighting reality. It shouldn't be like this and this is so ridiculous. So they're non-judgmentally looking at the parts. They're going, okay, this part fell apart from this part. Uh, uh, this isn't connected properly. Uh, this uh, piece needs replacing. And it's all very sort of uh, without very much emotion, right? They're just objectively, non-judgmentally looking at the parts and making an assessment. And they can see what they are uh, assessing, of course, as I said, and they have a good understanding of the vehicle that they are assessing. So a, a big part of uh, making corrections in mental health is like becoming like that mechanic and having those same understandings and those same tools uh, and putting it to work so that you can make changes to the patterns that are running. And I wanted to talk a bit about uh, humans and how they are like, they're kind of like, humans are like thinking and feeling machines, right? And we run patterns. We think about things in life in particular ways. 
Uh, you could also say like algorithms, like, uh, you know, we when you go and you do certain activities, you do it in kind of like a certain order. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we think in patterns and we, uh, I would also say we feel and behave in patterns. And when you have a BPD happening, the, the pattern is not working, right? It is leading to, uh, problems in being able to solve, uh, difficulties in being able to solve problems, uh, difficulties in being able to relate effectively with the people around you and and in general things just you know not going well where there's like uh there could be behaviors that you regret afterwards things that are said and done which is very common right Uh, lots of feeling guilt and shame for having said and done things that you didn't mean or you know you didn't know how to handle in the moment so what we want to do when we're studying uh, bpd so like one of the things you need to commit yourself to if you're really going to get a handle on this is get getting good at knowing the pattern and how things are connected things that we don't haven't yet learned how to become a non-judgmental observer of or a witness of we need to be able to see the pattern in each moment of difficulties we need to be able to kind of envision it and then kind of say okay this is this is the pattern that is happening right now this is how uh what's happening with me and uh, my thinking emotions and behavior and i'm going to give you a couple of quick examples here today sort of how how i've learned how to do it so you know you can sort of learn a bit from from me that way so the patterns okay are huge and and getting into and putting yourself into the pattern <laughs> like if that is kind of uh, understandable uh, applying it to yourself i guess that's better wording applying the the a pattern to yourself and knowing when things you know need some adjusting so of course there's you know if things happen there's events in life and these are often happening in relationships around other people so things happen we make an interpretation of what happens that leads to an emotion and then that leads to some kind of behavioral response and then the whole thing repeats you know moment to moment and what people often struggle with is understanding that they create their own emotional experience like you'll often hear people say you made me feel like blah right like you made me feel guilty you made me feel sad you made me um feel whatever feeling it is and so like when you say it like that it's like you're saying i don't have to take responsibility for what goes on inside of me it's all other people doing it to me Uh, but the truth of the matter the truth of the matter and this is kind of the paradigm shift that i'm talking about 
And lots of people have a hard time with this. They don't want to make this shift. They they resist, right? They want to like blame circumstances, blame other people for the way that they feel. But what happens and I can tell you like it's the it, the truth because um, there's no possible way that anyone can get in your head like another person can't get in your head and push levers and buttons in your brain to make you perceive life in the way that you know they want you to perceive it so you feel a certain way like the perception is coming from you inside of you the way your brain is interpreting the moment so we receive information from the outside world right it goes into our senses uh, then we start thinking about the information we try to figure out what it means and then subsequently and very quickly we feel an emotion and then we act on that emotion. And it, the thing is, and this is why people have a hard time seeing it and also, I guess, resisting like the truth, is they because it happens so fast. It happens so quickly. And, you know, you haven't really usually been trained in your life to um, be self-aware because most of us aren't trained to be self-aware. Um, so it, it, you don't have the self-awareness, so you don't have the light, like the mechanic light, and, and it happens so quickly that it seems like some, it, someone else did it to you, right? But the, they did not. They did not do it to you. You did it to yourself. Um, like if someone attacks you physically, then they are doing it to you, right? But in social situations, relational situations in general, where we're just talking, uh, we are making interpretations of what everything means and coming to our own conclusions. Uh, and it becomes like so rapid fire uh, in in ourselves and in and in our uh, exchanges with people that it seems like the opposite. So, like, if you want to uh, learn how to manage your body, right, and manage your emotions and your reactions you need to make this paradigm shift where you're kind of you're saying i can't see what's going on inside of me uh, and i don't know how to settle the emotions that are getting activated and i don't know another way to interact with people that would make things go smoother so i don't have the vision right i can't see i don't have the skills and tools to change the emotional experience and i don't have the uh, uh, a thorough understanding of the of the pattern i can't i, I can't uh grasp what's going on here so you need to kind of admit that and if you really, really want to get better, then that'll be something that you admit to yourself. And, and then you will, uh, you know, seek out the tools that, I mean, I will mention as time goes by here as well. Uh, like one of them is mindfulness. Uh, and that's how you, one of the big ways that you become self-aware. But I'll talk more about that in the future. Um, but, you know, 
you, you need to be seeking after these things that you need to make the uh, adjustments and subsequently live a different pattern and a different life entirely once you are able to change the pattern and ideally that the people in your life can also understand that these patterns are happening and support you in making the changes to these patterns. Um, they can keep running uh, in their ways which are counterproductive to what you're trying to accomplish and heal your BPD. I mean, people around you might just not care, right, and stay ignorant of mental health and that's sadly common but it's not the the way you know for everyone uh, some people can actually be really good helpers uh, for a person struggling with their emotions and trying to settle them down and get the brain working in the different in a different way and a different pattern to start emerging and i have to tell you like once once you start having some different patterns and things don't happen in the ways that they did in the past and you start having you know different outcomes like less destructive less toxic outcomes less regret less guilt and shame like it is it builds your confidence to kind of go like wow i did that differently than i did in the past and uh you know like i'm uh, i'm proud of that so this is something that you can um, work towards uh, for yourself as you're going along here. Now, what I wanted to say next is that um, people can become, like if nothing changes and this, you aren't able to start to see the pattern for what it is, then you can become kind of paranoid Meaning that it can seem like you're always under attack. Uh, and, you know, people can be very hypervigilant, very defensive um, when they keep feeling these extreme emotions that they can't yet tolerate very well. And, you know, it feels like the emotions are like a threat and it's like they're almost feels like they're annihilating them or killing them. So, it's, I mean, it's understandable that you could be, you know, automatically defensive like almost all the time and sadly you know that's when you know people will uh, criticize you for being so instantly defensive um, because again there's that mental health ignorance right they don't understand what's uh, happening so they just kind of try to come up with quick solutions and invalidate your emotions and shut you down um, and make it really hard to make uh, changes so, I mean, I really do encourage people to, if you're not a person struggling with an emotion regulation disorder like BPD, if you're like a family member or a partner or other loved one and you want to be helpful, like learn about this subject and like study the same things that you uh, the person in your life with this condition is studying because this happens a lot during interactions uh, and it can be extremely extremely discouraging um, when you're trying to uh, use new skills and you're trying to develop self-awareness and you're trying to do things better but keep, people keep doing things like 
uh, undermining what you're trying to do by automatically invalidating you or um, just being or being punishing even uh, when you have reactions that are ineffective, right? Um, so please uh, be a support to the people that you care about and become informed because I mean if you don't become informed you're going to be coming up with all kinds of bizarre reasons for why you think things happen when you don't know right like you could blame anything that isn't the cause when you don't have an understanding of what's going on with uh what I'm talking about here, the connections between perception, interpretation, um, making assumptions, uh, how that connects to feeling and how that connects to behavior. People can only do what they have learned how to do better. So, and we're going to talk more about in the future podcasts, how to be interpersonally effective, um, as well you know so how what you say and what you do in moments in challenging moments and and you're trying to regulate the emotions all at the same time like it really is challenging work so i i i hope that you will have compassion on yourself and if you are someone trying to support someone else have please have compassion on them they're trying to like basically become a mechanic, right? They're trying to become a mechanic of the human mind and nervous system and uh, the emotional part of the brain and trying to figure out how all the things are connected, how it all works together. So there's a bit of my rant uh, because, I mean, I know, again, what it's like to live with this condition and be striving every single day to try and do better right uh like people i think in general want to be good people they don't want to be harmful they don't want to be running a toxic pattern and hurting their loved ones they want to be they want to have a better life experience they want harmony um and probably one of the things that leads to, you know, someone um, spiraling downward a lot in, in borderline is the shame, guilt, regret after having a bad moment. Uh, because, uh, because people still do have a conscience and they do care, uh, usually, right? They, they want to be caring and loving and for things to go, for things to go well. So they feel they feel very guilty if they know that they said or did something that hurt one of their loved ones. And I was going to relate a couple of uh, possible examples here. Okay, so um, one kind of typical example that I've had in my life and that I've seen with other people in my practice is so say you're having a conversation with your partner, right? So this is the event and your partner starts getting frustrated. So expressing some frustration about some situation or something that you didn't do quite right or, you know, some mistake. And so he or she starts sounding kind of angry. So that's the event. Now, the interpretation, and this is, you know, if you're afraid of like rejection or abandonment, which is common in BPD, you might immediately assume I'm being rejected and I'm going to be abandoned. Uh, and then you would feel intense 
fear, right? Uh, and maybe desperation. And maybe that would turn into some, some anger, right? And then so uh, you would act on that and maybe you would do something impulsive or uh you know like maybe try and lock someone in the house so they can't leave or maybe start uh getting angry about you know the way they're making you feel right there's that that faulty paradigm they're making you feel right so what I would notice is, okay, I am feeling, if I go back, I'm feeling, and I'm putting myself in the diagram, the pattern. I am feeling um, some fear. I am feeling some rejection, okay? I see that. It's happening. It's okay. You know, it's understandable. People feel these ways. Um, and, you know, I'm just going to let this be I'm gonna be with this emotion. It's okay that I feel this way. Um, now, when I do that, and I have a little bit of self-compassion and self-validation, then I can go like think it through a little bit more because I have a bit more brain capacity happening, right? And I'd be like, um, so she is frustrated. Um, she looks angry. Um, but if someone is frustrated, like, say, about the dishwasher not working or, you know, the, the car breaking down or a bill not being paid, like something, whatever, right? Like, does it mean that I'm being, even if I feel rejection and I fear abandonment, does that mean it's the truth or is it just a feeling? And we'll talk about this in down the road, like about when we get into cognitive distortions and thought traps like so a feeling isn't necessarily a fact uh, a thought isn't necessarily a fact so just because she's angry and i feel rejected doesn't mean that i'm being rejected she is just frustrated she's frustrated i'm not being rejected and she's not leaving me she's frustrated about the dishwasher not working and, you know, and for someone who isn't, you know, BPD, that could seem like pretty straightforward. But when you get stuck in the emotion and you get convinced that the emotion means the truth in the moment, uh, it's really hard to get unstuck. Uh, so you need to be able to see these examples and see how to non-judgmentally untangle yourself or get unstuck. So I could say to myself, yes, she's frustrated. It's, it's, um, it sort of sucks that she's frustrated. And I wish that, you know, it didn't have to be this way, but that's what's happening. It's okay that she's frustrated. You know, it's not the end of the world that things are happening that she doesn't like or he doesn't like. And we're going to get through this. So you can see like that as an example, right? How you go from one paradigm to another and then it changes the whole the whole um connection of how things are processed the event the interpretation the feeling the behavior it all changes and my behaviors would probably just be kind of like more like yeah you know maybe validating her frustration and just kind of saying yeah what can we do about this instead of kind of freaking out and having some big inappropriate reaction behavior that makes the situation worse um so that's one um type of scenario um like there's there's many others and i've had many <laughs> so let's see here i mean another one 
uh, could be, you know, that if I'm out driving and, um, okay. So one of the situations I was in was that, uh, I was driving down the road. I was approaching a school bus and, You'll see this in the examples that come up in the PowerPoint presentation down the road here. But I was approaching the school bus and that little stop sign comes out, you know, on the side of the bus. And um, I'm, I, I was singing along to music or something and I just drove right through that stop sign on the bus. Um, like, so the bus was approaching me and I was in the other lane and I just drove past. But of course, you're supposed to stop, right? And... Um, and then I, when I, after it happened, I realized what I did. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I really thought I, I overestimated like the threat of what was going to happen to me. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get like a thousand dollar ticket or, um, you know, there's going to be, I'm going to be turned into the police. And I'm going to have, you know, a problem that I can't handle. And, um, and it's going to lead to, uh, like family problems and fights and you know the whole thing is going to unravel and who knows maybe i'll even like lose my job like all kinds of stuff right uh my mind was creating because uh i started feeling that fear and and has sort of having some emotional reasoning like it's the fear is the truth and uh, the catastrophe is the truth and i thought that was all going to happen um, and, you know, I, it was close to where I work. I got to work and then, uh, I sat down with my, one of my colleagues who has helped me over the years and I just explained the situation and, um, she talked me through it in a way that was helpful. You know, it's like someone helping the mechanic trying to work on their car or work on themselves. Um, so, you know, she validated the feeling. It's okay that you're feeling that fear. It's understandable, you know, that you, you don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want things to go badly. So it's okay that you feel that way. Um, and then, you know, we started, after the, the feeling was settled, we started kind of looking up some information on, you know, what the potential ticket could be for doing that. And then, you know, and then also thinking like, what's the worst that could happen in your life if you got a ticket for that um, and how you would handle it, right? So, I mean, I, I was able to deal with the emotion, slow down, think it through, and then kind of be like, okay, it's not, it sort of sucks like that it happened. And um, I, f I feel some guilt. It, I, I, I don't feel horrible guilt because I didn't really mean to do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's not as, not going to be as bad as I thought. So I kind of went from like panic mode and, you know, thinking of horrible outcomes to it being something I could manage. So anyway, these are some examples like from my life and I'm sure that people can kind of relate who are listening. So this episode is going to be um, carrying forward from episode six and the information there. Um, in episode seven, I had special guest and an awesome opportunity to learn about uh, another person working on borderline personality disorder and learning new things to have a different experience in life. 
And thank you again so much to that guest. And I hope others were able to benefit from his, um, his sharing and the stories that he was able to bring to us and how he has uh, made some improvements and advancements in learning how to deal with emotions and live in his body differently. So this episode today, it could be an interesting one. Um, some people may find it, you know, very intriguing. Um, others may find it, uh, shall we say, a little bit uh, repulsive, I guess, <laughs> could be the word. Um, so I'm talking today about the thought patterns that a person with BPD and, and actually people with uh, without BPD and with other types of mental health issues uh, also deal with. Uh, some people call these uh, thought traps or cognitive distortions. And, you know, depending on who you are uh, getting the ideas from, I have learned from Aaron Beck, sort of the famous cognitive behavioral therapy uh, researcher. Uh, I've studied some David Burns and... Um, so I'm kind of a combination, you know, of those two for how I think about thought patterns. But if we're thinking of the, like the larger pattern I was talking about in episode six, right? So, and it's really important to get a firm understanding of how things are connected, how they chain together so that you can continue to develop your own self-awareness, which is key really uh, a huge asp a huge key to making improvements if you can't get to know yourself if you can't see yourself in action and and sort of be the non-judgmental witness or observer it's really hard to uh, make changes and we're going to talk more and more about how to increase your ability to do that uh, but you know one of the first things is to really understand how things link together. So there, you know, things happen in life. The, there's the event. And then how you make sense of the event, the perception or interpretation, which leads very quickly to the emotional experience, uh, which could include several emotions all at once, uh, which then leads to, you know, a little bit more thinking or self-talk and then a behavior. So, and this, you know, this happens in life, like moment to moment, it happens quickly. Uh, it can seem like uh, it happens like automatically and you have nothing to do with it. But we also discussed in episode six that uh, you are making your own interpretations of situations. So in that sense, uh, you are like doing it to yourself. Um, and many people who are learning about mental health again for the first time and um, personality disorders, they are, you know, they are quite convinced that other people are doing it to them. They are making them feel a certain way, right? Um, I mean, other people can be an influence again, they can be like a kind of a stimulus, but ultimately each person decides 
whether they're aware of it or not, uh, how to look at a situation, how to interpret the situation. Okay, so today's uh, episode has a lot to do with what's happening when we're making those interpretations, you know, our first thoughts about things. Um, And, you know, those thoughts can be, um, as they say, distorted. Uh, You could also say they can be biased um, because they are usually, they don't include like enough information to get, um, to make a good initial assessment. Like as I was saying in other podcasts, other podcast episodes as well, that things uh, tend to be like rushed in modern, uh, the modern world, right? The modern industrialized world, we are often in a hurry to get things done, to make sense of things. And so, um, you know, our perceptions can be likewise like rushed, which leads to lots of um, taking shortcuts or errors or biases. And this, uh, you know, goes towards the common cognitive distortions. And we're going to talk more about these in the next episode, like what those are. But like some of them are, maybe you've heard of some of them, like all or nothing thinking, uh, black or white thinking, uh, overgeneralization, mind reading, jumping to conclusions, should thoughts, catastrophizing, labeling, there's at least 10, and I would some would say more. Some uh, are sort of similar to the others, and, you know, there's some, so there's some overlap. But it's good to know, like, which types of thought traps or cognitive distortions that you fall into on a regular basis. Uh, because these thought traps, they don't work very well for problem-solving, Uh, And they also don't work well for uh, emotions, like they would induce maybe stronger emotions than are needed for uh, situations that uh, we all encounter on a regular basis, right? So people fall, you know, they fall into these traps. And then, you know, also, as I was saying in previous episodes, you know, others then react to our interpretation and they invalidate, right? Uh, because they, you know, they can see that there's something not totally rational. Uh, but then as they invalidate our perception and emotion, they, you know, they don't help a person with BPD to get unstuck uh, from that initial interpretation. So if you need to kind of go back and learn more about validation, I would encourage you to do that. Um, I think it's one of the most important skills. I mean, not that we need to be validating all the time. But it certainly can be helpful in key moments when there's very powerful emotions happening and uh, someone is really stuck on their first way of looking at things that could be biased and oversimplified and rushed uh, and all that. So please review validation if necessary. So I was going to talk today a bit as well, and this could be the you know intriguing and or disturbing part, I guess, um, but... I like to talk about like the roots of issues and why, you know, 
why do humans do this kind of thing, right? Like, because lots and lots of people struggle with thought traps, cognitive distortions, and many, many people are remain unconscious about it, right? They haven't self-reflected very much. They haven't studied themselves. They haven't um, learned how to do that. So these things kind of happen uh, seemingly automatically, you know, in the background, and they create all kinds of issues for a person. And, you know, they just remain unconscious of it, and then they could blame things that have nothing to do with it. Like, you know, other people made me upset, or, you know, the whatever, the weather made me upset, or I just, you know, it's this town. Maybe it's the water or the wind, you know, anything. Like, when you don't know what's happening, I mean, you come up with all kinds of bizarre uh, explanations, right? And maybe some of those things do kind of contribute again, uh, but they... I don't think they are the sort of the root or the core reason. So it's good to get to know yourself at a deep level. But if we really want to kind of go deep with this subject and, you know, you have to ask yourself again, like, why do so many like millions or maybe even billions of humans do this to themselves? Where does this come from? And uh, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last like 24 or 48 hours before this podcast here. I was looking up some information on the internet, like why do so many humans struggle with cognitive distortions? Um, and, you know, of course, it's not uh, an easy answer. It's complicated. Uh, we, we are surrounded by uh, a culture when we come into this world, uh, you know, social, uh, social um cultural milieu i guess you could say and uh you know a person experiences their childhood uniquely like they could experience certain types of parenting or certain types of trauma uh, they could inherit certain kinds of genetics uh, like they're they might uh, naturally struggle with emotion regulation which is a, a big one for people with bpd often they just inherit these really intense um emotions uh, that you know they have to learn how to deal with because that's what they got uh, when they were when they were born so and that's an, uh, an important piece like some people think like oh it's a level playing field and every brain is basically the you know you know the same if you're an average person but that's not true um, you know some people obviously have uh, developmental disabilities and brain issues but there's a lot of people that just appear just like regular ordinary people who have um, unique um, aspects to their neurology to their brain and people with BPD are fit into that category if you're asking me so where does this stuff come from um, I think it's an, an valuable I guess we could say to kind of go way way back like if you look at humans right like and some i would say you know and this is the weird part some humans would be kind of more like you know you you need to be a predator kind of like you need to hunt for your food and you know if you don't if you can't be a good hunter and, and catch what you need to eat then you, you know then you you can't live and then there'd be others so those would be like the predators or the like the carnivores i guess and then there's other humans that would be more okay with just like eating what's available, right? Like from the plants, uh, the trees, the, uh, you know, drinking the, uh, the free, the, the clean water and, uh, you know, whatever else is available in the ground or, or otherwise. 
And so those could be just more like the, uh, I guess the less aggressive types, the, or the herbivores. I mean, I was thinking kind of about dinosaurs too, right? Like, cause they were kind of in those categories a bit as well, right? Um, or they were. So it just kind of makes sense to me that like humans would as well. And, you know, so some, you know, some uh, portions of humanity would think, you know, this is what, how you have to survive. And then others would be like, no, you don't have to um, uh, be aggressive like that. Um, but what I think kind of happened is that the, the aggressive predatory types, um, they kind of like, like won uh, and they kind of decided like, we're going to be the ones who kind of call the shots. And, you know, if you don't listen to us and the way we think and the way we whatever believe, then, you know, you're not going to live kind of thing. And so take it or leave it. Like, I think uh, it, it is complicated and we do come from generations and generations of human history, you know, and some would say, you know, we go back many, many thousands of years and the, that there is some evolutionary aspects to our, our being. So the predatory carniv carnivorous, whatever types they won, um, and they started uh, saying, you know, well, this is how everybody has to live their life. So people could start kind of thinking like, you know, if I can't make a kill or if I'm not a good hunter, then, you know, maybe I don't, you know, I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to be able to survive. And if I can't fit into their world the way that they, they are, um, even if I don't really like it, like I have to, you know, sort of like prove my worth. I have to prove that I'm worthy of being alive kind of thing. Um, but like, I don't think initially the earth was like, uh, like that, like it is possible. I mean, if you're in the right places in the earth, like, I mean, things are just freely available. You're, you know, you're wandering, uh, around the countryside or through the, the wilderness and things are available. And like there's free air and free water and, you know, uh, you can eat, uh, fruits and vegetables and things are just available. Earth just gives it to you. But, you know, if you, if you're kind of the meat eater, I guess you would, you wouldn't look at it that way. You'd be like, no, uh, we, you know, you have to kind of dominate and take and, you know, take more than, than others. And you can, you know, if you can prove yourself that way, then you can have more than others. So I know that some people will be like, what is he talking about? Like, but like, I start, I like to think of the, you know, the, the origins of thought, you know, and uh, what are some of the possibilities? And, and psycho psychology can be kind of, it has, you know, a philosophical aspect to it, you know, but to be totally, um, you know, aware of, you know, how things potentially are, you know, you need to consider some of the things. And I guess I'm just asking you to ponder, you know, that, you know, maybe this is some of the origins of our, our thinking. And um, maybe people became very afraid about safety and security and being able to fit in you know and if they couldn't figure out how to fit in uh, then uh, you know into one into one type of way of being human then you know they weren't going to survive so that's you know that's one thing um i mean another uh angle to that um i guess i was also pondering was um so maybe some of the early humans were um okay with just 
accepting nature on its own terms. Like, so if, if uh, food was available, you know, I guess these would be the herbivores, right? The plant eaters, whatever. If food was available, and, and then they would be able to live. And um, so they're accepting nature on its own terms. So if nature isn't providing for a season, uh, then, you know, people are going to die, right? And they, those humans just accepted that, you know, that's what nature uh, has decided. Uh, it, it, it provided for a while and now it hasn't and some of us aren't going to make it. And that's just the way it is. And I guess I was thinking like the predator or uh, carnivore type, they'd be like, they would be like, no, uh, that's not okay with us. And we want to be able to survive I kind of like rule over nature and survive no matter what. Um, and maybe this is kind of also links to like um, agriculture and storing grains and like, you know, making sure that there you can survive no matter what kind of thing. So you're like, you know, you're ruling over, over nature. It's not like you're accepting nature on its own terms. You're, you're taking over. And if this is part of, you know, a way of thinking, um, then, you know, we need to consider that as well. Because it, you know, it makes sense that, uh, uh, you know, there would be requirements from, you know, from the more dominant uh, population. And they would kind of be deciding for everybody. And I think that's what we see today, like in the modern world, is sort of you have like the dominant predatorial, carnivorous, whatever types, like they kind of like control everything, right? And um, and some of us are like totally fine with going along with that way of living and thinking. And then there's some of us that really don't like it. Um, but it's like, if we want to be uh, kind of like accepted or if we want to feel safe and if we want to survive, it's, it's like we have to conform. Um and part of that um, conforming, I think, includes sort of that, we go back again to that rushed mentality, like, what you know, I have to be able to keep up. I need to be able to, like, uh, deal with things, and um, no matter what, and uh, even if it's like, um, you know, so you're kind of in a state of, like, fight, flight, freeze, like, there's this like anxiety, like I have to be able to keep up. I have to be able to do, do it like they do. Um, and so, you know, you end up rushing through life and rushing through how to deal with things. But when you do that, then you start uh, making all these thinking errors and uh, not solving problems very well. Uh which then leads to the interaction issues that we talked about before um, and sort of the emotional neglect that we talked about before. Um, so th this is weird, I know, um, but I'm, I guess I'm trying to really get a good um, understanding, you know, for myself and maybe offer that to others as well. A book that I read on this and that really influenced, I guess, my thinking is called uh, Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. He, it's a story about a gorilla that's in like a cage in, in a zoo, I think, and telling its story about like, how did this, how did this gorilla end up in a cage, right? And uh, like owned by, by a dominant uh, animal, like a human, right? And it like, how did we get here kind of thing uh, where, you know, 
some people seem to be able to have way more than others and uh, survive and then others really have a hard time like adapting to to the modern way of things i mean you kind of got to admit like we are like largely like i guess you could say in a rat race right like people are they want to uh, get to as high as they can on on the hierarchy the social hierarchy the often they want to accumulate as much wealth as they can like this is this is what's regarded as like normal right quote unquote normal um and i would i wouldn't even doubt that lots of people who are accessing this podcast would be they would want to be able to be more competitive so i want to be healthier so that i can rise higher in my life and i can get more things and i can be more competitive and i mean i can understand why you would want to do that right because it's like we're in this world where you have to be able to right you have to be like the hunter and you have to be able to prove that you're like good enough um to to have a good living kind of thing and so it doesn't even really you know and i with lots of therapists too it's like people come to us and i think they just want a quick fix so they can get back out there and you know and be earning and have more power to earn uh right so that they can get more things and you just get stuck in that paradigm uh and that's probably how people use therapy services quite often but i mean i guess i i like to you know really understand what's happening in the world really try and understand the roots of things and to me that gives you even like more um stability it gives you more of an ability to function in whatever situation you're in no matter how dysfunctional it might be right it gives you a way to also kind of like maybe forgive yourself for a lot of the things a lot of mistakes that have been made because it's kind of like wow i did really grow up in a kind of a twisted world in a way like where there's lots of like lies uh, like you know you end up lying to yourself about uh things like you know what does it mean what do you have to do to have worth and to be acceptable right like i'm only worthy if i achieve things i think that's a lie or i'm only worthy if someone if i can find you know like true love kind of thing right i think that's a lie uh and you know there's other things people because uh, you know they get blamed for things in their childhood and you know other people they can't take uh, responsibility for their emotions and so they blame them like a parent might blame a child for for their struggles or, or for their emotional challenges and so you end up you know doing everything that you can to try and make others happy and you assume you're responsible for their emotional well-being and i mean this happens to, to people a lot uh and i think it's just part of that it's just part of the sort of the twisted fabric of the culture kind of that we're in and how it all kind of stems back to you know how how you know some of the primal beginnings you know and it's funny like after like thousands of years right and people kind of creating culture it's like one of the things my sociology professors told me was like we actually forget that we created culture because it's been like so long that we've been living this way it all just seems like normal um to be you know for there so it's normal for there to be uh all this uh 
uh, inequality and it's normal for you know the earth to be destroyed and in ways and um it's normal for us to wreck things and consume things over consume and and all that um you know i do have some environmentalism in me you can probably hear that uh but i'm i guess i'm first and foremost i'm concerned with like how do people get sick you know and how did we get here and and how do people end up with personality disorders uh like why aren't they able to have childhoods that are more stable why 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 can't they learn more about how to deal with their emotions and live in their bodies like like it kind of makes sense doesn't it that everything is like rushed and people are just sort of in a they're just in a panic to kind of survive in many cases and they don't have the tools that they need to be to be healthy because they're trying to conform to the the dominant system that says you know you have to you have to get things and you have to achieve things and you have to be able to keep up and you know if you can't make enough money you're going to die kind of thing right or you're going to be homeless and on the streets and like that happens we see this in different parts of the world and gosh just look up a uh, a youtube video about home a youtube video about homelessness in like las vegas for example or any other major city um that it's all over the place uh it's probably in every town it's even here in the small tiny town i'm in 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 uh, canada so you know this is this is the this is the uh, the way that we have decided to to live um but it, you know it comes with these consequences of um not knowing how to think rationally uh, being kind of in many cases having neglect in our childhoods and kind of like living with too much fear in our bodies uh, and people end up thinking that that's normal and then later in life like people like me I, I wasn't uh, fully aware of the extent of my unwellness until like my mid to late 30s and that's commonly that's commonly the case with others as well because they think everything's just normal as it is right and because uh, i guess the body and the mind can take some abuse for a period of time and then you just reach in many cases it just the body reaches a tipping point uh, a great book by gabor mate a famous psychiatrist uh, from vancouver british columbia uh, he's written several books anyway one of them is called when the body says no which means like the body says i'm done like i'm not going to take any more neglect or abuse i'm not going to live like this anymore like living the way a popular culture or you know the industrial society has said is normal i'm not going to take it so you start having like episodes right like of panic or you start having severe depressions or you have maybe an autoimmune disease or maybe you get cancer something happens uh, it could be a combination of things, but it's like, uh, you know, we neglect our health in ways and we've been conditioned to assume that that kind of thing is mostly normal. The most important things people often will work on is their, uh, you know, their education, their career, of how to live in this world where the, I guess, if you're okay with my wording, right, the the predators, the, the hunters, the best hunters took over, the carnivores, the ones who wanted to rule over nature, right? They took over, and now we're living kind of like in their world. Uh, I mean, and you could go further with this, and I'm not going to 
totally say, you know, everything on my mind here, but, um, you know, not only do, you know, humans want to take over nature, right? They, they also want to take over, uh, not like not only this life, but like the afterlife, right? So it's not only that you have to prove yourself in this world, that being just one way of living, uh, you also have to prove yourself to make it in the next life. Like if you're, you know, if you're a religious person and if you don't prove yourself, then you're going to you're going to have some consequences, and I guess different religions have different interpretations of those consequences. But anyway, you're not going to get as much as the as the others, right? So you have to prove yourself, and I'm sure every therapist out there would say that lots of their clients have this like this sense that I'm never good enough, and um, I'm never worthy enough. Uh, they you know they're stuck with this self judgment. And that's part of the cognitive distortions we'll talk about more in detail later, too. They, uh, you know, perpetually feeling inadequate, uh, which could come from different cultural elements. And, I'm, you know, I'm not saying everything comes from one thing. It could come from how your parents were and their immaturities. It could come from the mass media. It could come from... Um, it could, from, could come from religious traditions. It could come from, like, lots of things, right? Um, and that's why it's hard to... Uh, you know, have a complete, I guess, a complete understanding or to, to try and make big changes because, you know, I guess the world is what it is in ways and we have to, we have to live with it. I wanted to get into the subject of cognitive distortions a little bit more. And explain a variety of things that I think are relevant to the subject. We kind of started down this path in episode 8, where I introduced a few of the ways thinking can go awry and become twisted. And I kind of went into a bit of my own uh, musings about the origins of irrational thought and societal and cultural factors that I think might play a role. And I'm willing to be, you know, not totally right on all of that stuff. I just base some of my conclusions on the things that I've learned over the years, some of my other interactions with other professionals and other areas of study, and try and link things together so that they kind of can make some sense. So, being as that may, uh, do take it, you know, with somewhat of a grain of salt. I do recognize that I don't know everything about mental health or borderline personality disorder. But at the same time, I have learned a lot over the last 10 years since I discovered borderline personality disorder was an issue in my life and that I needed to take steps and work hard to try and make some changes and understand what was what was going on which leads up to the present here and sharing these things with you so that you might have maybe a bit of an easier time than I did. So anyway, um, thought patterns. Uh, one of the first things I wanted to talk about was the fact that thoughts just kind of show up uh, throughout our day. I mean, would you agree? Things just kind of pop in there, it seems, right? We start thinking about something about the past, or we might be pondering about the future. And things just kind of pop in there, and they can just seem like 
uh, like hard to understand. Like, where did that come from? But the thing is, uh, lots of us uh, grasp onto these thoughts and like attach to them and take them seriously. But we don't really need to. And actually, they can kind of stir us up if we start thinking too much about the past or the future. And we can fall into some of these thinking traps or cognitive distortions that I'll be talking about here. Another way that people start thinking in these ways is when things happen in life. Uh, events uh, that can, you know, influence the way that we think. And I have a, a couple here that I'm going to share with you today, things that happened to me uh, that influenced my thinking and kind of started me down the old pathways of how I used to function quite regularly and get really stirred up and um, upset by various things in life. Um, I also wanted to say that cognitive distortions are not just unique to people with conditions like borderline personality disorder, like anybody can struggle with these types of thoughts. Although a person with borderline might struggle with them a bit more or a lot more uh, because their emotional experience is different. It's more intense, it's more regular, and uh, in my experience, uh, the, more Im the more you struggle with intense emotions, the more likely you are to uh, kind of rely on oversimplified ways of looking at things and uh, attaching to these, these types of thoughts and just kind of generally getting stuck and having a hard time getting unstuck. Not to say that it's impossible, because it is definitely possible to get unstuck from distorted ways of uh, thinking and looking at the world. So, some of the common ones again, uh, and they're listed here in the presentation at smarterthanbpd.info. Uh, common ones, all or nothing, black or white thinking, overgeneralization, discounting the positive, mental filter, Jumping to conclusions, which includes mind reading and fortune telling. Um, magnification, minimization, emotional reasoning, should statements, labeling, and personalization and blame. So those are kind of the top 10 distortions that uh, cognitive behavioral therapists will talk about. And dialectical behavior therapy, which is kind of the path we're going down here. Although, like, not really officially. I'm not officially trained as a dialectical behavior therapist, um, but I have looked into it a fair bit um, alongside my understanding of cognitive behavioral therapy. So I was going to say how I fell into some today, um, some of the all or nothing thinking actually. Uh, I had a uh, cancellation of a patient um, and I didn't really know why. And so some of my uh, impulsive thinking is to kind of go like, oh, I'm being rejected as a therapist or, um, you know, I'm, I'm a failure now because, you know, someone doesn't want to see me. And I've, you know, I must have let, let somebody down somewhere or somewhere people are talking or something like that, right? So I get into some of the kind of the mind reading as well as the all-or-nothing thinking. Um, I'm feeling some rejection when those things kind of happen, and that kind of hurts. And so I start to fall into some of these traps, right? Um, 
and I noticed that I was falling into this kind of thinking again um, today. However, I was able to be aware of what was happening and kind of sort it out, noticing um, that I was what I was feeling, uh, feeling inadequate, feeling some rejection, and then taking a bit of time to work through that feeling and acknowledge it and validate it, which uh, helped me to think of things in you know different ways. When I come back to my rational thinking, I can recall that uh, you know I've had lots of good experiences with clients, uh, patients, and um, so you know some people like working with me quite a bit. So it's not like my you know, reputation could just kind of go down the drain uh, just like that, and that I'm suddenly you know rejected by like everybody. Um, I also don't know uh, why this person uh, decided not to come. There could be all kinds of things that came up in their life uh, as to why they couldn't attend. They Maybe they had to be out of town, or maybe they decided that they didn't want therapy at this time for whatever reason. Maybe, um, maybe someone uh, told them that uh, mental health was not a valuable thing to do. There could be so many things that, that could have happened why this person made this decision and then I had someone not come in. And um, so the better thing is to stay open to all those possibilities and to kind of sit comfortably in the, the unknowns and the uncertainty rather than uh, kind of be rigidly stuck in, well, this is the reason uh, that um, people don't come when they don't come, right? They, it's because they don't like me as a therapist. Um, and, you know, my rejection feeling is the truth and kind of thing, right? Which is, that's emotional reasoning. Or I would be feeling a feeling and saying, the feeling is the fact. So keep that all in mind uh, from my little example there that these distortions can overlap, right? Uh, there can be more than one happening at once. Uh, so, you know, in that particular example, uh, I was talking about all or nothing thinking and emotional reasoning and uh, mind reading. Um, so, those are three from that one. Uh, another kind of funny but not really funny example here today is that I uh, tried to do a recording of this very podcast and uh, ended up accidentally deleting it after, you know, working hard to put all the thoughts together. <laughs> So, I mean, there we go again, right? I started to feel some frustration and some disappointment about that happening. Uh, and then I kind of went into maybe some of the fortune telling, like, this is going to happen again. If I do a recording, it's just going to happen again, and I'll, I'll have to feel that frustration and disappointment again. Um, so, you know, it would be better if I just didn't do it at all kind of thing. Like, you know, my thinking can go in these directions, and I can see that. Uh but, I mean, I could make that decision, right? And kind of say, I'm not going to take any more chances on recording a podcast anymore, you know, because this is going to happen. Or if it happened once, it's always going to happen, which is overgeneralization, right? One thing is like a repeating, uh, a repeating pattern. It's going to happen again and again. Uh, but if I acknowledge the disappointment, acknowledge the frustration, sit with those feelings, show myself a bit of compassion, validate myself a bit, you know, breathe through the feelings. I could say, you know, I've had several other podcasts and the software has worked just fine. And, um, you know, it was probably just something that happened with the, you know, system. And I might have 
pushed a button uh, in a kind of a hurried, rushed way when I was starting to do some editing. So I can remember about that and do that differently next time. Um, so you can see like, you know, this is some of the things that type to tend to happen in everyday life, right? These are just everyday frustrations. Uh, and uh, I mean, everybody experiences them, right? But someone with borderline, their emotional experience, again, might be much more intense. And so they might stay stuck on those um, rigid ways of looking at things, which then influence their decisions and behavior uh, uh, as things continue. So it is really helpful <laughs> to be able to recognize these things and un untangle yourself from them so that you know the rest of your day doesn't uh, go in a you know in a bad way because you can carry these things inside of you these unresolved thoughts patterns these thought patterns and feelings pardon me and um, they can influence events uh, that happen later in the day right um, because you're still upset about the other thing so it's good to be able to start to recognize that these distortions happen and you can do something about it. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention was that it's important to learn about these cognitive distortions like you would learn your ABCs. Like when you're a kid, right? You learn them so much, so well and so much that they become like automatic to you and you can, you can point them out uh, like you know, quickly, and you can use uh, use the information and the uh, you know the skills uh, in a very quick way. You know, and on a encouraging note, it's good to know that you know that just like you learned your ABCs and uh, your one two threes, and you can put you know words and numbers together and you can do kind of amazing things right you can read books and you can do math mathematical equations if you like that kind of thing um, but you can you know very very efficiently use these things that you learn um, and down the road after you have practiced practiced uh, some of the things you learn from this podcast or other similar resources you know eventually it will become like second nature and then you will just immediately be able to uh, change the way that you uh, experience life because it doesn't follow the old pattern you start a new pattern and then you're able to keep that pattern going and if you do start going down the old path like i was you can recognize that and go down the new path the new pathway in your mind uh, which changes reality changes your life another thing i was going to get into was the ways people can become rigid in their use of these cognitive distortions they um they are kind of they're harmful but at the same time they can give you a sense of security in a way because um, uh, e even if you know you are uh, looking at yourself as a failure for example because you get into this all or nothing thinking at least you have a way of like making sense of life and the world so in a, in a way it becomes like uh, it's better to hold on to these rigid ways of thinking than it is to feel like you know things are uncertain and you don't feel a total sense of being in control one of the things i've noticed and and that i really didn't like 
uh, before going through all my learning was that people really don't like feeling uncertainty. They don't like feeling un uh, that things are um, unpredictable or unknown. Um, and so, you know, they end up developing some of these things to increase their sense of security in the world. I mean, the world is, it's always rapid moving, changing, dynamic, fluid, right? We, I mean, we don't know exactly what's going to happen moment to moment or how people are going to be in our life like things. They're sort of, they are un, un, unpredictable and uncertain, but I think we like to kind of fool ourselves in a way that things are predictable. And, you know, if you um, just uh, uh, hold on to certain kinds of rules or beliefs about things, then, you know, you don't have to feel certain ways. So people actually will, strangely, they will like fight for their irrational thoughts <laughs> if uh, if you can believe it but it's uh, it's true people will actually fight for their irrational thoughts um, and you can see this sometimes come out in conversations uh, where a person is saying this is the reason that this happened right I could say like I said in my example I could I could fight for my belief I could say the reason that that person didn't show up or they canceled was because uh, people are talking about me they don't like me and um, you know I'm, I'm I don't have a good reputation. I'm a failure as a therapist. I could fight for that. Uh, and, you know, and it would have sort of that uh, strange benefit of, you know, feeling like I, that things make sense to me. Um, but it doesn't actually help me in the long run uh, because I end up feeling stuck in that sense of like I'm inadequate or a failure. So just keep that in mind as we go on here. I'm going to talk about that. And it could be a bit controversial uh, because, you know, we could extend that to other kinds of beliefs and belief systems and like why do people cling so hard to their belief systems, right? It, it becomes, you know, a sort of a challenge to the whole, you know, system out there, <laughs> you know, belief systems and whatnot. Why do people love their belief systems so much, right? I would say because it offers them a sense of security in an uncertain uh, world. However, it isn't uh, living completely uh, in reality. So, it is a challenge to become familiar with these things. It is a challenge to uh, be willing to uh, take different steps to uh, think differently. And... Um, uh, over time, and as you develop more skills and more awareness of yourself, and you can see like what's happening moment to moment in your life, uh, then you'll see that you kind of have some choices. Uh, you can stay stuck in your thoughts. You can, you know, fight for them tooth or nail, uh, or you can learn how to, I would say, emotionally mature and learn how to sit with uncomfortable emotions, learn how to work through them. Learn how to use your brain in a different way uh, so that you can think more critically of different life situations uh, and which would lead to probably, you know, different outcomes and different ways of solving problems because you're not as rigid as you were in the past. So it's good to become flexible, I would say. It's good to... Uh, to uh, acknowledge that uh, everybody can look at the world in different ways and that we don't all have to be the same. Uh, 
So this takes us like further um, to the point where I wanted to say that it's, it's good to look at uh, life as a series of uh, opportunities. Um, like when I started working on my borderline personality disorder, I was uh, very frequently getting stuck in my assumptions, my misinterpretations, my cognitive distortions, and um, it can be discouraging, right? And so at one time I switched my way of looking at this. I said, I'm going to look at each of these moments as like a practice opportunity. So even if I stumble and fall and, you know, um, things don't go well because I got stuck in a thought and a feeling loop, uh, then I'm just going to remember that, you know, this, I, what can I learn from that experience? And so I would just reflect on every single one and go, well, in that situation, I, you know, I think I got stuck in this particular thought trap or cognitive distortion or series of distortions, right? And there's, uh, there's uh, phone apps that you can use to, to analyze your experiences and your thoughts. So, I mean, you can start studying your experiences and you can go, what happened there? Uh, and what kind of thinking did I get stuck in or types of thinking? Uh, what types of emotions was I experiencing? You know, and, and if you do this again and again and again, you'll start to see some of the recurring patterns that you fall into the types you know the types of cognitive distortions people usually fall into like a handful of them like at the same time right in my examples that i was giving you i fell into two or three and i might have even had more i just didn't go into it in too much depth but you start to notice the patterns in your thinking and it's like oh i tend to fall into um fortune telling or i tend to fall into all or nothing thinking quite regularly I tend to be an overgeneralizer or take things personally, you know, which one am I kind of thing or which set of which patterns are, are common to me. It's really good to get that knowledge, that insight. It gives you a way to kind of uh, do things a bit more efficiently, I guess, when you have moments, right? Um, so I wanted to say, you know, instead of relying on these uh, simplistic ways of uh, looking at the world, which these, you know, these distortions actually are, it's better to get comfortable with feeling, uh, feeling uncertainty. And remember how I said people don't like that. They don't like to feel uncertainty. They would rather use some of these... Uh, these distorted ways of looking at life and themselves uh, rather than f uh, risk feeling ways that they don't like or just in general feeling you know that things aren't in total kind of control i would say it's better to get accustomed to feeling that uncertainty and because it it actually gives you options you can instead of relying on these uh these uh, w ways of uh, thinking you can be more flexible and you can think of why things happen in different ways and you can probably even relate to other people uh, a bit better going like well you know like you know you tend to look at things this way whereas i tend to look at things that way and really there's like no one right way you know and people will argue that they'll 
especially people in in strong belief systems they will say nope there's one right way of being human one right way of thinking um and you know so they kind of tend to push the uh the inflexible rigid ways of being in the world um you know and there's me being a bit controversial again uh but i think that's important to note because uh, if you want to be healthy in your mental health, if you want to recover from borderline personality disorder, then you need to be willing to um, have some flexibility. People rely on these ways of thinking because they don't want to feel certain things. They, I'm, that's, I'm fairly confident about that now at this point in my experience with uh, studying mental health, working on myself and working with other people. Uh, there is a strong urge to avoid feeling in ways that you don't want to feel. And people will almost do like anything sometimes, it seems, to uh, avoid their feelings. Uh, in, you know, including all kinds of uh, addictive behavior, right? People would rather be like an alcoholic, I guess, than to uh, work through their feelings. They would rather uh, do other reckless and impulsive things that would give them maybe a short-term numbing or relief rather than learning how to work through their feelings and challenge their thoughts, okay? Uh, BPD just doesn't like disappear just like that. You know, it's something you learn to live with and get kind of highly skilled at uh, over time as you progressively learn how to live in your body, how to work with your emotions, how to do things in a way where you can untangle yourself from the, the very typical and common uh, uh, entanglements or distortions. You know, why, I guess the question like why would, again, why would people be so dependent on these ways of thinking, you know? And I think it goes back to some of the things I was saying in episode eight uh, about, uh, you know, kids in many cases do not have opportunities with their, their parents uh, and, you know, maybe their mothers in particular to learn about how to live in their bodies with emotions and how to uh, be comfortable with that they you know they basically learn how to avoid their feelings because they don't have the instruction to learn how to live with their feelings so they you know you end up acquiring these uh, biased rigid inflexible ways of thinking as a way to kind of feel safe and secure in the world when you don't have any other way that's what people do they just they figure out a way to survive but then that way that they figured out to survive like relying on these distorted thoughts and you know like beliefs about how the, what, how, the way they think the world is uh, they end up relying on that and probably uh, copying their parents in a lot of ways by listening to the way they talk and think right maybe the way their their friends talk and think or their favorite media celebrities i don't know the way they talk and think like uh, whoever influences you the most right uh, that's what you will use to try and get through life and have a general sense of safety and security even if that sense of safety and security is a false sense of safety and security and why is it false it's false because it doesn't serve you well uh, it's false because it's just being used as a way to avoid uh, handling emotions uh, effectively and maturely it's being used as a way to avoid feeling that's why it's a false sense of security 
I would say a real sense of security is learning how to live with all of your emotions and especially learning how to feel uncertain and not knowing, you know, everything about what's going to happen next. Because if you can handle that emotion in particular, plus all of the others that you could encounter, I mean, you can take life as it comes rather than having to rely on uh, a set of rules, a, a rigid set of rules or a rigid set of beliefs about how the world works. Uh, the world is, again, I think fluid, dynamic, ever-changing, and you never know what you're going to get with each situation. So you need to be able to uh, handle things as they come and work through all the emotions that come with each uh, different moment. You need, to, you need to be able to develop a confidence, right? That you can handle whatever, whatever comes next. And that you can do it uh, effectively and skillfully. So this episode, again, is based on two quotes and two articles. The two articles uh, I wrote a few years back and these two quotes. One of them is from Sigmund Freud and one is from Henry David Thoreau. Uh, the quote from Sigmund Freud is, most people do not really want freedom because freedom involves responsibility and most people are frightened of responsibility. Uh, the other quote from Henry David Thoreau is, think for yourself or others will think for you without thinking of you. Okay, so to get into this, um, I wanted to tie it back a little bit to a previous episode as well. Uh, the one where I was talking about being willing to tolerate uncertainty as a way of uh, being able to be more dialectical uh, so that you can be open to more than one interpretation or viewpoint of any particular situation so basically you can't be dialectical in my opinion you can't be dialectical if you are not willing to tolerate certain types of emotional states such as feeling uncertainty feeling i guess a bit out of control right not having everything sort of predetermined okay so to get into the quotes um now if a person has a freedom um that means that they are not relying on any particular system of uh i guess belief or any particular system of um tradition or the like in order to uh, get by as a human. But like most people, uh, when they're brought into the world, right, they're uh, reared in a family that probably follows some particular orientation, right, towards life and spirituality and what have you. So they inherit a way of like being human, a way of thinking about what it means to be human, a set of rules to live by, 
uh, a set of algorithms, right? Like if this happens, then do this. If this happens, then do that. So you're, you know, you inherit a model, I guess, or a, a blueprint. Some people might say like, you know, it's a, it's a type of conditioning. Um, you know, and this, these models can be kind of useful from a certain perspective, I guess, right? They can give you a certain, you know, like operating system, I guess. But then there's also that comes with it, like a type of rigidity uh, so that, you know, I would say it reduces your ability to be uh, dialectical, as I was saying. But, you know, it, it takes away some of the, the anxiety, you could say the existential anxiety, um, so that you're not feeling so much of the uncertainty feelings. And, you know, things are, again, like they're predetermined, they're kind of worked out ahead of time. So, you know, you don't really actually have to deal as much with human emotions when you have an operating system like that. And maybe that's why, you know, people really like those kinds of structures, those kinds of systems, um, because then they don't have to deal with as much human emotion. And especially the emotions that I was talking about uh, that a person needs in order to be more flexible, like, or sorry, the emotional tolerance that a person needs to be more flexible in their ways of perceiving things and uh, thinking about things and, and problem solving and stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to just like get a bit deeper uh, on that, on that note. Um, and, you know, there's a bit of controversy in that as well, because people, you know, they really cherish their belief systems and they cherish their traditions. I guess you could say they cherish their their algorithms, which just is basically means just a, a predetermined way of thinking about uh, life and how to be human and, you know, where you come from and so on. Uh, and, you know, people love to pass these things down to their children and, and give them a blueprint or a structure to rely on as well. I guess all that I'm saying is that it doesn't come without certain kinds of consequences. Uh, so it might free you from some of the emotional challenges of life, but then it would also potentially uh, reinforce or in increase the potential of developing certain types of mental health issues or, or personality disorders. Uh, because it, it does kind of create a rigidity in perception and interpretation. Like when things happen, you know, they already kind of know, well, this is happening because, the, you know, the, the structure tells me like this is why things happen. Uh, so they already have a predetermined way of making sense of things, which is a type of rigidity. Um, and rigidity does not help with mental health. We need like a flexibility and we need to have a willingness to um, th uh, think of things in like multiple dimensions, I guess, uh, so that we can 
have discussions with each other that are productive and we can come up with uh, creative kinds of um, solutions and ways of dealing with things. I think this is what it means to like mature and like grow up, basically, uh, like being able to tolerate all different types of emotions including uncertainty of course and being able to uh sort of set aside predetermined assumptions predetermined uh rules i guess or like you know like algorithms thinking rules <clears throat> i mean because i've said before too and when i was talking about the cognitive distortions that like a person in the throes of borderline personality disorder is is uh, easily uh, getting stuck on one way of making sense of the world and why certain things happen. You know, and they, a person gets convinced that their one way of interpreting an event is the right way because they feel so strongly about it, right? So there, there is no changing that, um, that rigidity when you haven't learned how to tolerate your emotions. So I guess people like have a choice ultimately when it comes to like how they want to be human uh, and how they want to be in their body, right? You can choose to rely and be dependent on a, a predetermined structure um, that you were taught maybe in your childhood or you can sort of bravely courageously step outside of that and say you know i'm i'm not going to that's not going to be how i make sense of every situation in my life you know i'm going to be open to ambiguity i'm going to be open to other points of view and this, you know, I think will serve me better than just kind of stubbornly clinging to, you know, a, a very small, narrow range of view. So I, I think that's kind of what Freud was saying. Like, you know, people don't want that kind of freedom in a lot of ways. They don't because they don't want the anxiety or they don't, they don't want to have to deal with the emotions uh, that comes from, like, not having uh, a predetermined uh, cognitive map, I guess, right? People want that map. They want that, um, they want that uh, structure to be able to lean on, almost like a crutch, uh, so that they don't have to feel as much and they don't have to think as much you know you have to do a lot more feeling and thinking and processing i guess if you're going to be completely free uh, so people in a lot of ways they would rather um they would rather hold on to their 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 map that they were given in their childhood or you know maybe that they they joined some group in their adulthood and they're like wow you know i just like this um way of uh you know not having to think and feel as much like you know i just kind of put things through my little 
um, processor that, you know, the, the institution gave me. And then I know, you know, exactly what everything means and why things are happening. And, uh, I don't have to, uh, I don't have to go through some of the other challenges of human life. So it's kind of simplifies things, you know, and maybe people kind of think, well, you know, that frees up, you know, some, uh, that frees up some of my energy to maybe uh, put elsewhere, like maybe other projects or other things in my life. So I guess like, again, it comes back to having a choice, how you want to um, live. I guess I would argue that if you are going to be reliant on a structure like that, um, you know, then you are going to be, you're going to potentially have more challenges relating with people who are different than you, right? So, and maybe that's why, you know, people in certain um, cultures or religious groups, they kind of just stick together, right? Like, and they kind of say, you know, we're just mostly going to uh, spend most of our time with each other and people who think like we do, because, you know, we don't want to have to... Uh, uh, feel the things that other people, you know, feel. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? Like, uh, if you have a particular way of um, making sense of things, then you, you don't want to have to uh, go outside of that box. It's just easier to stay in that box and then uh, associate with others who stay in that box. Uh, because, you know, it's just, again, simpler, less emotionally challenging it's just like it's so maybe that comes across as a sense of peace and contentment right like oh the world is you know it's like it's easier it's less scary it's um more comfortable whatever as long as we stay in this box together basically and i guess I, again i'm just arguing that that's not true mental health and I think that's what Freud was saying in his quote, like, uh, you know, you could have true freedom, but you have to be willing to uh, handle the challenges that go with that, which would mean being willing to feel all the feelings of life, uh, being, you know, uh, and being willing to embrace multiple points of view and, and so on. Um, but, you know, People will gravitate towards these things, I guess, until the end of time. Um, they would rather kind of like not really think for themselves uh, because it's it's kind of difficult to do that. Um, so the, the next part here of this episode, I wanted to get into my, my articles that I posted. And they were talking about switching your paradigm and... And also the freedom to be as, you know, unhealthy as you want in your life. So switching the, the paradigm, and I did talk about this in another episode as well. Um, but, you know, you can stay in the original paradigm that you inherited in your life, which could be your belief system. And it could also include the idea that you were given everything that you needed to be a healthy, happy human being, you know, 
I think a lot of people have this assumption, like, you know, my parents provided me everything that I needed or my school or my religion um, and my other whatever mentors. I was, you know, trained to have enough knowledge and ability to be healthy. So people kind of have this assumption or they might even assume that if as when you start to uh, age, you know, like you mature and you become a young adult, 18 or 19, then you, you know, you, you just kind of magically have the ability to work through all of your emotions and, you know, think in more complicated ways. And I mean, to some extent that might be true. Uh, but when it comes to mental health, uh, I would say uh, that, 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 that that's not true whatsoever. The things, I mean, that I've learned as a, a therapist, uh, really, and meeting with many people inform me that people do not get the skills that they need in order to be emotionally mature and to be able to get along uh, in, a, in a consistently uh, caring, loving way in their families and in their relationships. Uh, things break down a lot because of a lack of understanding and, and skills in their life. I mean, why, again, would people uh, be coming to mental health services in, in such large numbers if they had everything that they needed going into their adulthood? You know, why would their systems be going into anxiety disorder and depressive disorder and why would their relationships be so chaotic in many cases and if they had everything that they needed? So I guess my argument here is that, you know, your original paradigm that you have that you have learned everything that you need in order to be a healthy adult from the the sources that were available during your childhood uh, is uh, not true. So parents often don't know how to pass on mental health skills. These things are not typically taught in schools, although, you know, this may be kind of changing in recent years, but I would still kind of argue that it's not very much. Uh, the schools and maybe some teachers try to bring some of these ideas into their classes, and maybe there's a special mental health day here and there. Uh, but the, I mean, the dominant systems don't change all that much. And sometimes we try to make it look like we really care about mental health by having, you know, mental health awareness month or suicide awareness month or, you know, a special, you know, event in the social media. Sometimes corporations and businesses try to make a point of saying it's important. Um, but I don't think that those things do have, have a big impact, really. It just sort of makes it look like you care. Um, but the, the main ways of doing business and how all that affects us doesn't really change all that much. Um, so to switch your paradigm is key. You kind of got to go that I, I, I did not receive what I needed when I was young. Uh, because if I had received everything I needed for how to live in my body and deal with all of my emotions and think, you know, 
clearly and and not get stuck on irrational thoughts if if i had been provided all of that uh like i learned how to read or learned how to do math if i had been provided all of that i wouldn't be having so much difficulty in my adulthood but again here we go right we're when i say you need to switch your paradigm we are challenging the um the sort of the the traditions and the belief systems you know i'm pretty sure the belief systems have tried to be the mental health program uh for for millions and billions of people like they've tried to give you a way to be uh emotionally healthy you know to give you some sense of security and safety but i think that they have failed i guess and maybe you know people aren't going to want to hear that they're going to want to believe that their uh, traditions are kind of infallible and they actually do make you happy and joyful and feel safe and secure and maybe for some people it works that way but uh i know for certain it doesn't work that way for everybody um because all of the tools that you need to be a healthy human are not available in those systems and in particular i guess i would say those systems would maybe discourage um learning how to handle certain kinds of emotions and they wouldn't give you the types of skills that you need to to be with your feelings they would just say uh turn to the you know the book turn to the you know the answers that are given in the book for how to deal with life's challenges and uh if you you know turn to those understandings then you don't have to work through your emotions i'd be really curious to get anyone's feedback or input on this uh because i think that can be quite disabling if that's what the traditions or religions do and i really am trying to be tactful you know when i talk about these things uh, but at the same time um like honestly relate the things that i have learned as i have discovered more about mental health you know and the one thing i know for certain about becoming more mentally healthy is that you need to be able to uh, be more in touch with your emotional self uh, and you need to be able to tolerate all of the emotional states uh, that uh, come as part of being a human <laughs> and anything that discourages practicing feeling would be a problem you know in most places in the world uh, you can you can ponder these ideas right uh, even if you just do it silently um, sometimes you're not able to uh, think and speak freely in certain parts of the world without major consequences uh, but i would guess you can still you know take some of this information in and think about what it means so i mean you you can freely uh maybe try on some of these new ways of understanding or you can just stick with what you've always done in your life right so you don't have to uh listen to what i'm saying uh you can of course uh use whatever tactics have 
worked for you or seemingly worked for you in the past. And like nobody can make a person be healthier than they are or no one can make you change the way you live in your body uh, no one can make you learn to uh, understand your emotions or tolerate your emotions you can s s continue avoiding feeling in all the ways that you may have done over the years uh and lots of people avoid their emotions through a variety of ways, right? It could be substance abuse. It could be overworking themselves. Uh, it could be all kinds of distractions like, uh, you know, being the perfect house cleaner, for example, right? Um, it could be uh, a lot of things. The humans are actually quite diverse and creative in the ways that they avoid feeling, <laughs> It's actually pretty interesting being a therapist and discovering, you know, how humans are so creative that way. Um, but I think the truth is, the more that you use your vices or your tactics to avoid feeling your feelings, the, the more you end up relying on those things uh, to get by. And they're usually only temporary fixes, right? So you got to keep going back for more and more and more. Like anything that makes you keep coming back for more and more, um, I would say is a vice. You know, if you have to keep coming back to your alcohol to get relief or any other substance, then, you know, of course, that's a vice. Uh, but, you know, if you are actually using some skills to increase your ability to feel, then you know you're not you're more f free that way aren't you and you, you don't you don't need any particular thing to get by in life like a person who's listening to these podcasts i would hope that they are learning enough to that they would never need smarter than bpd again you know eventually they would uh, get what they need they would start doing some practices and we're going to talk more and more about those um things that you know you build up your strength so that you don't you have no dependence on uh on me or my words or you know anything you become free from this you know, in psychology, I guess you could say we kind of work ourselves out of a job, right? <laughs> because we are giving people the skills and tools that they need so they don't need us anymore. Uh, so we don't really want repeat customers. Uh, we want people to be uh, independent, you know, and maybe that's how you can tell the difference between uh, uh, things that are are helpful or things that just want to kind of take advantage of you in this world. But you're free, you know, you're free to be as healthy as you want. And I had to learn this when I was early in my practice. I was frustrated when it seemed like people didn't really want to work hard on, on their mental health. And one of my colleagues said to me, like, listen, Peter, people in Canada here, they're in a free country and they don't have to come back. Uh, they don't have to learn more. They can do what they've always done. They can be as unhealthy as they want to be, like as long as they're not going around hurting people or, you know, killing people or causing other mayhem. They, they can be hopelessly depressed if they want. They can have, uh, you know, regular anxiety disorder and panic attacks. They can live that way if they want. Uh, 
they can have personality disorder if they want uh, and they can live that way if they <laughs> if they prefer that uh, with all of the chaos that comes with it um, so you know that's something I have to uh, remind myself of and accept We are going to discuss a model that I have used to understand better how things link together. That being how things happen, how I think about things happening, leading to how I feel, and then behaviors, which usually tend to make life harder than they need to be. So this I think is going to be very important um, for anyone who has struggled with borderline personality disorder and any milder and related conditions, depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, to listen to and to gain a firm understanding um, so that they can help themselves uh, move forwards and untangle themselves from from the internal chaos and the unnecessary drama in their lives. So this model is borrowed from cognitive appraisal theory, which was introduced in 1984 by Richard Lazarus and Susan Folkman. It also has a lot of uh, connections to cognitive behavioral theory in that, you know, you're looking at how cognitions and behaviors and thoughts are all linked together, as I was saying. So, with this one, I guess one of the first things I wanted to mention was, you know why people tend to have a lot of unnecessary stress and drama in their lives and with each other? I, I think one of the main things that people don't recognize is that, like, number one, they are running on autopilot much of the time, meaning that they don't see themselves they don't have self-awareness established yet so things just sort of seem to be happening and not really knowing you know why and you know from an internal perspective how am i looking at the world and how am i making sense of things you know what are my feelings that i'm having that i'm having none of that is kind of accounted for when you're running on autopilot and the next thing, like why people, again, there's lots of arguing and un unnecessary drama, is that people believe their assumptions. They believe their assumptions without taking the time to think things through. Every, everything is kind of rushed, right? And remember how I was saying that we live... In, in a rushed way, often in the, you know, the modernized, industrialized world, right? Like, like they say time is money and, you know, everything is sort of on a, on a, on a, on a schedule. Uh, and there isn't much like opportunity to, to discuss things, I guess, at length or reflect. We sort of have to get things done and we don't really, we don't have time to think twice about it. So, there's a lot of assuming that happens. And like one of the things I learned working in the clinic where I do, we did this special exercise one day um, when we were working in a group. And 
I should just give you the gist of this exercise so that you can kind of grasp the a truth that our, most of our initial thoughts about things uh, are wrong. So like we are assuming a lot of the time and we are flat out wrong uh, much of the time about what we think is happening. So this exercise, we're all sitting around a table and um, we have a, a piece of paper and a pencil and the facilitator or sort of, sorry, the, um, I guess sort of just the, the person who's going to lead the exercise has an object in their hand. It could be anything, right? Like it could be uh, a stapler or anything, but the, the people in the group don't know what it is. So that person holds the object under the table and uh, that person's job is to um, describe the object to all of the group members in a objective, like non-judgmental way. So you can't say what the object is. <clears throat> so as the person is describing the object, um, you know, by some of its dimensions and if it has straight edges or corners or, or what have you. So that person does this describing and then everyone else uh, tries to draw on the paper what they think is being described. Uh, and also, no, no one shows their drawing to anyone else until the end. So, what do you think happens as this exercise occurs? And, and by the way, every time this exercise was run in our clinic, like it, we got the same result at the end. And the result was that everyone who tried to draw the described object came up with something absolutely unique uh, to them and different from the others. And do you think that the drawing looked very much like the described object? Uh, and the answer is no. So, I mean, they were going on their first impression, right, of what they thought was being described and i mean they were pretty far out pretty far out there in terms of what they drew it was uh, and you'd really be surprised at, at how different each person uh each person's conception of the object was but that's like not the only kind of evidence that people rely on assumptions and they believe their assumptions much of the time like if you are working on your mental health and you're doing like thought uh, analysis like thought behavior or sorry uh, um, a thought diary using any of the cognitive behavioral therapy apps that are out there for you know on your phone or doing it on paper um, you realize that your initial uh interpretations and perceptions and assumptions of events are not not truthful they are they are loaded with um, biases and distortions and um, and 
don't reflect reality. They don't have enough of the facts to be a reflection of what you know the, is actually happening in life situations. That's usually what you discover when you do when you do a thought journal. That's what I meant to say earlier, or you could call it lots of things, right? A thought diary, thought analysis, any of these CBT exercises. So there is an event part, and then you have an interpretation, like how do I make sense of this event? And then there is the emotions, and then you have your self-talk, and then you have your new event. And as you can imagine, like in real life, right? Like we're, when we're just living moment to moment, this happens fast. And if you don't learn how to break it down, then you can't self-reflect in a way that you can see uh, yourself in action. Um, and you can see what's going on with how you're trying to make sense of things. So you have to kind of like use like a model like this. And, and even if you like... Uh, get out a piece of paper and you just copy this model and you just keep working it through every day like um, you know from something that happens and how did I think about this event and what kinds of emotions did it lead to right so then you can start to see that oh like I really did do it myself even though it seemed to happen or come from other sources like I made my own emotions and then based on my emotions I chose my my action or my behavior uh, I also have provided an example from my own life uh, in this uh, section where I I explained this in another episode where, but where I, I ran a school bus stop sign you know those little stop signs on the on the bus that they, when they stop and they're letting a kid come on or off the bus and anyway um when i was in the oncoming traffic i i went through one of those one day and um and immediately my thoughts were that i was in big trouble and you know i'm going to have a, a huge fine and uh you know everybody everyone who saw it is judging me and um you know and i'm going to have like problems that I can't handle basically so I had this all these cognitive distortions and you can see that I have them listed here uh, in the diagram in terms of cognitive distortions I was fortune telling I was doing magnification I was doing uh, c catastrophizing and and then after I had that uh, initial thought I was feeling tons of fear and shame and guilt and feeling out of control and lots of difficult emotions um, which then led me to do more of the same kind of thinking you know the the bus driver thinks I'm terrible so I'm reading the bus driver's mind and and I'm in big trouble I'm fortune telling again and um, I'm always doing dumb things uh, which is over generalization or calling myself an idiot so i'm labeling myself and i should know better should thoughts right and then so what happened is that i i immediately um tr started looking up information on the internet about how much trouble i was going to be in um but i just wanted to share that with you so you can see that like how how um over the top that was and basically wrong um because that event turned into uh, absolutely nothing. Um, there was no um, 
ticket that I was given. There was no fine. There was no no one coming after me to scold me. There was like uh, no one came to judge me. It was all assumption, and I did it completely to myself. So this is what happens like over and over and over in many people's lives, right? They, they run on their assumptions. They don't have a good balance between their emotions and their rational mind, so they don't have what's called wise mind. So, uh, you know, through re- doing these self-reflections and learning other skills like self-validation and, and practicing other things like mindfulness, uh, you can start to slow things down and... Um, and figure out new ways to think about things and take care of your emotions in the process. Like after that event happened, um, I, I'm, I was lucky enough at the time, and this is also something that you can do is to, you know, talk to someone who understands mental health, of course, and um, help get their help for you to work through that event. Um, so my, my helpful colleague uh, helped me to um, settle down the emotions first and foremost right like i've been saying in the episodes to settle down the you know the the fear and the the guilt and the shame and you know that it's understandable that i could feel that way right it's there is some validity to my feelings because i don't want to hurt people and i you know and i don't want to mess things up with my my finances or undermine my um my life so that i can't pay my bills like i care about being responsible and uh, being like a good citizen, right? Um, so it's understandable that I could have those feelings. And so my colleague helped me to, you know, make some of those uh, validations and then to kind of think about the situation like, okay, how much danger am I really in here? And what are some of the facts that I'm probably ignoring about, um, about what could, you know, what's actually potentially going to take place so some of those things um, that i was um, ignoring i'll just note here so some of the facts the bus was in the oncoming lane so um that is sort of a more of a a novel situation for me i don't usually experience the bus putting the stop sign out in the oncoming lane so that's It's an unusual driving situation for me. Um, I was paying attention to the road. So, you know, my hands were on the wheel, my eyes were on the road, but I just, my mind wasn't like considering that, um, that part of driving. So I was also um, singing along to some music like a lot of people do, which is a little bit of distraction, but I mean, not like breaking any laws or anything. Um, and as I was saying, uh, I do value the safety of uh, children. And another fact was that no one came out into the road. I didn't have to swerve or miss any any children. I didn't hit a child. So all these things, I, when I made my first interpretation, um, I wasn't thinking about. So I was, all my fear, guilt, and shame didn't, didn't keep those, didn't factor those things in. So, after I factored those in, I was able to make some adjustments, and instead of assuming like the worst was going to happen to me, I switched 
to thinking that, you know, nothing had happened, nothing terrible had happened. I could face whatever potential consequences might come from this. It wouldn't ruin my life. Um, and I was kind of less unforgiving of myself because I really had no intent to hurt anybody. Um, and, I, and I do value safety. And I'm allowed to be imperfect, right? Like, who isn't allowed to be imperfect? Stuff happens. We don't mean it. It just, you know, we make mistakes. So I stopped heavily judging myself to kind of like, you know, being less down, or sorry, less on that, uh, on that type of thing because of my intentions. I didn't intend to hurt anybody. Okay. So in the last part here, I have a new interpretation, which leads to a new emotion. And that is that I did make a mistake going through the sign, but it's not a habit. It's not, it wasn't purposeful on my part. I, I feel a little bit guilty, but I don't need to be like beating myself up like a nine out of 10 guilt or shame. And, um, you know, I can't control what others might think about my mistakes. Um, people will make judgments and that's not gonna kill me and it won't be the end of the world. Uh, if I did receive a fine, I could deal with it. And it's okay to be imperfect, as I was saying. Uh, and it's very low probability that the, this kind of situation would completely ruin my my life and make it impossible for me to take care of other responsibilities. And so what would I do next time, right? I'll try to be more mindful of that situation. I'll learn from it. So it's always good to ask yourself, what will I do different next time? And I've said that in other podcast episodes. We do have to take it easy on ourselves when we're learning all these things, right? And, and again, like if we did not have the, you know, very kind of specific training like this, like for years and years while we were going through our childhood and adolescence, like why would we have these kinds of skills to rapidly sort out our thoughts and emotions, right? We don't live in a society that teaches these things on a regular recurring basis. Um, I think we live in a society that generally deprioritizes mental health like everything almost else is more important which is sad but it's true right and so but if you recognize that then you can while you're going through this learning process you can be like gosh like it, it's it took years for me to learn how to like read and write and use numbers competently so it's you know it's going to take me some time to learn how to self-reflect and um, kind of automatically be able to use some of these skills that i wasn't taught when i was uh, when i was growing up but you can learn these skills and it can become more or less automatic it's just a matter of like anything else that you did to learn in life lots of, of practice lots of uh, repetition uh, lots of using some of the tools that you know are available to learn new things I remember like lots of other things in my life that I've learned that took um, time and that I really wanted to learn but you know I had to uh, fall down and and pick myself up and make mistakes and go back and what can I do different next time like one of my favorite pastimes when I was uh, a teenager was skateboarding and snowboarding and I really enjoyed the um, 
the time with my friends and being able to learn how to do something on the skateboard or on the snowboard. Um, but nothing came like instantly, right? And you're probably familiar with this process for many things you've learned in your life. And uh, but really, this this mental health uh, skill and learning is is not much different. Uh, if you want to uh, learn it, then you can. And it's just um, a matter of taking the time and sometimes putting things down on paper or using some of the available tools. So you got to do this kind of thing, you know, if you really want to make real progress. Like it's not enough just to listen to someone talk. It's not enough just to read a book. You have to put yourself into the exercises. So you got to find something that you're willing to do, whether it's like a phone app or using pen and paper. And even if you just do like one a day, that will start to really increase your self-awareness and your, um, <clears throat> your ability to see things as they're happening in the moments of life which is what you really want. Like when you can see what's happening, you can see, oh, I'm having this intense feeling of fear and it's connected to, you know, a thought that there's um, some catastrophe has happened or is going to happen. Um, and, uh, and what can I do now, right? To, to, to work through this feeling and then and then reconsider my initial thought about the event and try and find out if there's any facts that I have missed, things that I have overlooked, things that I didn't consider in the, in the moment of stress. So you got to ask yourself, like, am I willing to do this kind of work uh, for myself? Am I, am I willing to... Um, figure this out so that I can live a different uh, type of life? Is it something that I really want? Um, like you must have, again, remember when you were a kid and you really wanted to learn how to do something, right? You Like you really wanted to learn how to do some, like maybe it was play guitar. I was into that for a while too. And wow, I really wanted to be able to play guitar, like my favorite musicians. And so that I just, you know, you get a passion and then once the passion is there, you just start doing some of the work to reach the goal of being able to do what you want to be able to do. So uh, this is a lot of straightforward kind of, I guess, encouragement that I'm mentioning, but, you know, something that you might want to keep in mind as you're going along here. It can be really discouraging to be in uh, the throes of borderline personality disorder, and you can just be sort of thinking um, that you're no good because you're having these moments of drama or, you know, moments of um, 
not being able to think and reason clearly and doing things that make life harder. And there can be a lot of judging oneself that happens after the fact, right? And you could be thinking, I should, I should know better. And I should know that, you know, not to do these things. I should be able to deal with my emotions and so much judgment that could come from thinking that you were, uh, were given everything that you needed to learn when you were growing up. Let me tell you, like most people did not receive what they needed to learn in order to be uh, totally effective in their life. And uh, people with BPD often inherit the intense emotions or they have experienced some trauma early in their life that created some in, uh, intense emotional sensitivity, such as fear of abandonment, right? If uh, you lost a parent or if your parents were chronically unavailable to you emotionally, you could easily have a fear of abandonment. And that could be, you know, influencing the way that you interpret the situations of your life. So, I mean, keep that in mind. Please do take it easy on yourself. Like I often say to people, are you, you know, doing your daily mindfulness? Sort of like you, you brush your teeth every day, right? It needs to be something that you do consistently so that you can build it up to the point where you have uh, uh, lots of strength that way and it doesn't come quickly there is no like magic recipe or magic bullet to mental health just like there is no magic or really quick recipe to physical health i often make this comparison in my therapy sessions um so i'll say like you know if you go to the gym and you do a few exercises with the uh, equipment or otherwise like do you get instant results um, you have to go back like every day right or every other day or you have to be consistent for quite a while and uh, not only with the exercises but you have to do other skills too like like your your uh, what, what you put into your mouth right what you eat and so your your nutrition plays a big role in your physical health and you need to be consistent with that too so it's no different in mental health this is like mental health training and you need to be consistent and you get results after you have been consistent with the right tools over a period of time and um, I guess you know consulting with people that understand it so that you can be sure that you're doing it in ways that are correct what we're going to talk about today will tie back to the last episode and maybe to episodes prior to that as well. Um, and today's episode could be particularly controversial. You know me, uh, maybe, so far, a little bit. If you've been listening all along, I like to be kind of controversial and, uh, you know, get people thinking and really pondering about everything to do with borderline personality disorder and related mental health concepts and ideas and, um, you know, I guess psychology in general. But today I am going to be talking about beliefs. Um, very controversial kind of subject if uh, you think about it and as you'll see. And 
in mental health and psychology, if you're really doing a self-study, you start to really think about the kinds of beliefs that you hold and if they are serving you well and the kinds of thoughts that stem from the beliefs that you hold. And, you know, this is why people maybe might even avoid mental health or discredit it quite often because, you know, we can really get in there and challenge our ways of looking at the world. And, you know, and everything maybe that you thought as a person was uh, normal or reality, you know, these things, we kind of cast some doubt on these things or at least get you questioning them. And, uh, yeah, sometimes people don't really like that very much. Uh, so they might just avoid the whole thing entirely. But, uh, I mean, if you really want to improve your mental health, you need to have the courage to look into things and question some things. Um, now, beliefs. What I'm going to kind of initially say, and it might be kind of funny, is that... Um, Humans make shit up. They make up things. They make up stuff and then they call it the truth. And maybe especially in their childhood when they don't have, you know, maybe not enough guidance about how to uh, think about thinking or how to like manage thoughts. We come into the world, right? And we are enter, we enter a certain set of circumstances, a certain type of environment with certain kinds of people. And, um, this, this environment seems like, like the whole world in the beginning, right? Um, and it could have certain dangers in it or certain things that are kind of, uh, unusually different or painful. And so we start to, come up with like rules and reasons about why things happen as they do right uh we might say well you know if i do this then i get punished or if i do something else then i get something taken away from me um things like that uh or or if you know we lose our parents or you know they they divorce we might make up something like uh you know, it was because of me that they divorced. Kids often blame themselves for things. Or uh, like if a, a parent was really hard to connect with, you might grow up thinking, for example, that um, it's not safe to connect with people because when you try to connect, then they ignore you or they reject you. So, I mean, you come up with some rules in order to try and stay safe from like emotional and physical pain. Um, and later on in life, uh, you, if you look into things and study yourself a bit, you, you start to realize that it's, got, it's like bullshit, right? Like you made up these things in order to stay safe and feel a sense of predictability and, re and reduce the sense of uncertainty. A way to feel safe, secure, right? Emotionally safe. This is what humans often want. I mean, so we could say, if we were to really generalize, we could say humans use beliefs as a way to feel safe and secure and have a sense of predictability to not have to feel certain things, right? To avoid feeling feelings they don't enjoy 
and maybe in particular, as I was saying in previous episodes, feelings of uncertainty. Humans don't like that from what I've experienced. And um, I mean, and people might even come at me and say, like, listen, Peter, everything you're saying in these podcasts is like, maybe you're making this shit up. <laughs> it's all just bullshit, right? Someone could say that. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe they're not far off. But I mean, I guess I would put it this way. Um, so I've been working in the field of mental health now for officially as a practicing therapist for 11 years. Uh, I've been studying psychology for about 18 years. I've met with hundreds of people and uh, learned about their lives. Um, I've worked on my own mental health and, um, I've, you know, and I've learned from, uh, you know, the, 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 the um, famous uh, theoreticians in psychology, right? I mean, that's what you get when you go through school. I have a, a master's degree in, in counseling psychology. Um, so, I mean, I was put through the rigors of school, right? And um, exposed to the ideas of people who have um, ex uh, experimented on their ideas, right? Uh, and uh, tried to prove some of their theories. So. I mean, that's what I'm going on uh, in terms of what I'm offering and what I'm suggesting to people. Uh, and I guess I could also say that with the things that I've learned and with the things that I'm sharing, I have been able to successfully reduce um, a lot of my borderline personality disorder patterns and traits. <clears throat> so there must be some truth to it, right? Um, it, I guess it can't be all bullshit. But I mean, this is what humans do. Um, and even if you like look across history and time and cultures, like there have been literally thousands of belief systems, right? The, you know, so humans make up what they think is the truth about human life and the universe and uh, gods and angels and demons and all of it, right? And and uh, and they kind of like they re they repeat it so much in their cultures that it be to them it becomes the ultimate truth the ultimate reality it becomes legend in a way when you repeat things enough times <clears throat> so and then the, you know you you put your thoughts and your beliefs in book form and then you pass it down to your children and they they take it on as the truth with a capital t as well right and uh and cultural ideas and things that, you know, things that are passed down in tradition, those things aren't tested scientifically usually, right? They're just sort of taken on as the truth because people just, they like it or they feel that there's truth to it. It's uh, emotional reasoning, as I was saying in the episode about um, cognitive distortions. People do that a lot. They like the way something sounds they like the you know how the belief or the you know the thought they like how it feels kind of relieving i guess in a way so then they say that's got to be the truth right <laughs> it's got to be the truth so we do this and we do it like all the time um and i guess i'll just kind of throw this in there again uh why would humans in modern society struggle so much with feeling safe and secure. 
so my take again is that we live in a fast paced world where it's ongoing competition and you know the priorities are set in such a way that you need to be a competitor um, and so there isn't very much time allotted to like health and well-being and in particular mental health like mental health is usually bottom of the barrel um, and people they take somewhat of an interest in it and usually their 30s or 40s when their bodies can't take any more neglect um, so they start realizing some things and studying some things maybe for the first time in their entire life <clears throat> so yeah in a fast-paced modernized industrialized world there's parents are often caught up in the activities of trying to make a living um, and they probably don't have much to go on themselves for mental health skills so they could be often fighting with one another, right? They can't communicate well, they can't deal with emotions well. So there can be like chaos in the home because of that. Um, because, you know, they didn't learn uh, things about how to be healthy in that way. So they, you know, then they also role model that to their children. And the children think, well, it's normal to be like fighting. It's just, it's just normal. That's what humans do. You know, we don't, it's normal to not know how to deal with feelings kind of thing. <clears throat> like, of course, kids are going to make that shit up, right? Uh, and then they're going to carry that forward with them for the rest of their life, unless they start to think about it and challenge it. Um, so, and again, we don't learn in general, in my opinion, how to tolerate and manage emotions. We don't learn how to self-reflect. Uh, again, our parents aren't equipped to take the time or to understand even what that means, to develop an emotional intelligence and emotional vocabulary, to, uh, to take the time to develop these skills uh, with the kids because things are just chaotic and busy, right? Um, and they've set other things as a higher priority. Uh, that 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 uh, being even if they knew anything about mental health in the first place, which people often don't, but even if they did, they would probably put other things as a higher priority, right? So you end up growing up emotionally stunted and believing all kinds of bizarre things as a way to try and stay safe in your life. And you, you carry this forward into your friendships, into your uh, romantic relationships. Um, and you, you try and keep running these patterns uh, as a way to get through life. And they often conflict with other people's uh, made up stuff, right? So your partner that you that you got married to or, or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, they probably built up some bullshit in their mind. And they bring that bullshit into the into your relationship as well. So you each have some, pardon me, some baggage, I guess, some bullshit baggage that you carry with you into the relationship. And again, I'll just reiterate, why do we make this shit up? Because we don't know how to feel certain things. We never learned how to understand our inner workings. Um, and, you know, we, tr we even try to uh, make other people accountable and responsible for our emotions. So we'd say, again, uh, you know, that person made me feel a certain way. It had nothing to do with me. 
or my perceptions or my ways of looking at the world and the, you know, my thoughts, it had everything to do with outside circumstances. That's a lie. Uh, but we do it all the time. People assume that they are responsible for the feelings of others and people actually try to make them responsible, right? Uh, they try and offload that responsibility onto other people. And uh, sometimes people try and offload that responsibility in uh, into their uh, spiritual beliefs, right? They'd say, you know, like, I'm not going to deal with this because, you know, God can do it for me kind of thing. Um, I'll just hand it over to God. Have you ever heard people say that? So they're, they don't want to take the time or and take the responsibility to learn to manage their own emotions. So they just kind of hand it over and say it's all in you know his hands kind of thing like to me that's all just um i guess understandable in a way because you would grow up thinking that that's the right way to be you know healthy that's the right way to live your life and to make sense out of things and so that's what you do just carry on with that um that, that way of being human um, so, and then, you know, when you, again, when you get into your adulthood, um, and you're saying to yourself, you know, things like, uh, my belief is that, uh, people are, you know, untrustworthy. You can't trust people, for example. Lots of people have that one. Uh, you know, people are, um, they will betray you. They will fail you. Um, and so that belief gets kind of applied to, to everybody as a way to stay safe from, you know, feeling uh, disappointed or feeling betrayed. And um, um, so then you, you know, you, you misinterpret situations and people and, and even carrying that belief, like you might even create the types of situations that you don't want to experience. Have you ever heard of um, self-fulfilling prophecy? It's um, where you kind of, you make your reality based on what you kind of believe uh, uh, everything, how everything happens. So one of the examples that a, a person brought to me once was how they, um, they have uh, RBF, which is called resting bitch face. <laughs> so they kind of sit, you know, on the sidelines or stand on the sidelines and they look kind of angry and unimpressed and, um, and they stay quiet, right? They don't engage very much with people. So they just kind of look angry. Uh, and then they're like, well, like nobody ever approaches me, right? I'm all, people just reject me. Um, so when they're using the RBF, I think they're trying to avoid being rejected, but then when they use that, then people actually stay away from them because it looks like they, you know, they don't want people around them. So they end up creating the reality that they didn't want because they were afraid of rejection. So they end up experiencing more disconnection and lack of, uh, you know, social enjoyment because they were trying to stay safe from rejection. So, yeah, I just saw that as kind of a vicious circle. Someone told me about that um, as one of their, you know, their ways of staying safe. They think that if you if you have relationships, then people are going to re, re, be rejecting and reject you, right? So they're like, well, I'm just going to stay safe by looking kind of angry. And then, um, but then <laughs> I'm going to experience people staying away from me. So I still feel rejected. You see, kind of see what I'm saying? 
so it was the uh, the bullshit from the beginning was that you know everybody's going to be rejecting and they don't you know and if they're not trying to stay safe in some way then they're always going to experience rejection which is just lies lies bullshit 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 and this is what people don't really realize again it, they're often unconscious to it right they've been doing it for so long uh, that they don't even see what you know they're doing anymore it's just sort of conditioned automatic behavior um, and the only way to recognize it for what it is is to kind of slow down and study yourself and self-reflect for a little while to go oh I guess I am doing that because of the beliefs that I have held about people and the world. Um, and, and you know, it's interesting, like what I have found, like across the board, and this is what makes psychology and mental health kind of challenging, is that people will fight for their beliefs. They will fight to hold on to those beliefs, even if those beliefs don't serve them very well at all. They will, they will like, be, and it makes sense that they would fight for their beliefs, right? Because at one time, uh, at a different stage of their life and in different circumstances, those beliefs served a certain purpose. They helped them to feel safe and secure when they had no other way of feeling safe and secure. So they, the beliefs served a purpose. So like if something served a purpose for you, it's going to be hard to let go of that. You're going to say, I want to retain it because, you know, it's kept me from feeling things that I don't like to feel. Uh, and, you know, kept me from having experiences that I don't want to have, I guess, unless the beliefs do the paradoxical thing that I was saying, where they actually create the, the experiences. But, you know, the funny thing is a person might say, well, see, it's true. People don't like me. If we're going with the rejection example, they would just take it as more proof, right? And that they need to hold on to that belief even harder uh, because it was proven to them through their experiences uh, time and again that they are not safe uh, to be um, more vulnerable in in their life. So people, they fight for their beliefs. And I mean, and if you look at the all, all the different cultures and religions in the world, I mean, damn, I mean, those people fight for their beliefs, don't they? Um, and, you know, you could say, well, it's similar to the other things that people make up and fight for as a way to feel safe and secure in a, in a kind of a, a challenging, uncertain world, right? I mean, you could take it that far, but no doubt anyone in their belief system would say, no, it's like my, my belief is the truth and it has nothing to do with the fact that humans make stuff up uh, for thousands of years and there's been thousands of different cultures and gods and, uh, you know, that's just what humans do. Again, people will fight for their beliefs and you will too, and I have too, uh, in my life, um, you know, I, I was um, ab abandoned as a child by my mother. And um, I thought um, that all, you know, all women were untrustworthy, basically, um, for a long time. And especially anyone who was my my partner. Uh, they There's no way I would give them the full benefit of the doubt, right? Because my earliest experience taught me that... Uh, uh, females who love you will let you down. They will um, uh, abandon you. Um, 
So, I mean, it took me a really long time to work on that one. And I even needed to get some help of some medication to work on that one. But it has slowly changed over the years to be not such, um, not such a threat or an apparent threat or a, like a fake threat to me in my life. Because it was bullshit after all, right? Uh, that all women, all partners uh, are going to let me down and abandon me. That's just a bunch of bullshit. But I carried that with me for most of my life um, and, and largely unconsciously. <clears throat> and you have to ask yourself, you know, if you're in a relationship and you find yourself kind of self-sabotaging things at times, you know, maybe there's a, a belief in there that you actually can't yet uh, trust people because um, you haven't learned to work through some of the emotions that you experience in order to Think of things differently and adjust your views and beliefs about people and the world. So that, you know, that takes us to, again, the importance of being able to understand and master your emotional experience and to be able to step outside of everything that shows up in the mind and the body to become the non-judgmental observer or the witness so you get good at just observing the things that show up, but not attaching to those things. You just kind of say, hello, I see you. Feelings of abandonment or feelings of fear of abandonment. I see that you're there. I'm just going to let you pass by or, you know, carry on like the clouds, which is I'm just talking about mindfulness here, um, which is something you need to learn if you are working through borderline personality disorder, if. You know, if you are attaching to every thought and feeling that shows up in the, in the mind body, uh, it's, you know, you, you'll be making a drama out of nothing um, much of the time because we have just random thoughts that show up, random memories, um, feelings sometimes just show up in the body and they have nothing to do with the present moment. Um, and, and, you know, they don't have any really any relevance whatsoever. But sometimes people, you know, they have that belief that anything that shows up in the in the mind and the body is like, they might say it's a communication from the spirit world or, you know, it's the, it's the evil spirits around me that are telling me things. Like they come up with these, these ways of trying to understand the mind-body system when they don't have a better way. Um, so then, you know, you know, if you don't, if you do it that way, you end up kind of like in this war with yourself, like, or a war with your thoughts, instead of just becoming the non-judgmental observer, which is the, the much better way uh, to live in your body, uh, so that you can actually be at peace instead of, I guess, like always on guard for some kind of, you know, threatening thought that could show up. <clears throat> It's like, how do we get to feeling safe? Like it's, I think it is important to feel safe and secure in the body, but how do we get there, right? It is important to have some safety in your life, but how do we get there? And that's a big part of um, uh, working through mental illness, being able to have safety and security without being dependent on other people, without being dependent on any institutions or belief systems for how to feel safe and secure. Uh, 
when there is a dependence, it's almost like a vice, like when people use drugs, they depend on the drug in order to get away from the, the thoughts and the feelings that they don't like. Uh, so that doesn't work either. It's only that only ever provides temporary relief from symptoms. So again, if you have to keep returning to anything, uh, any kind of external substance or person or system, if you have to keep returning again and again and again to get relief, that is a vice. Um, and it's not something that is making you strong, like independently strong. <laughs>